Hey, this is Chuck Dixon, and you're listening to Signal of Doom. Well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. I'm in. Hello and welcome to Signal of Doom. I'm Dave and I'm here with Richard and I'm here with the mighty, legendary Chuck Dixon. Chuck, how are you? Very good. Good morning, Australia. Yeah, that's it. Hands across the ocean again. You're in Florida, Chuck. How is it there? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Is it a warm so, day? Hands across two oceans. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it a warm day there, Chuck? I always picture Florida as always hot. Is that the case? Yeah, yeah. It's about 85. Yeah, it's it's nice. Nice breeze off the uh, golf. Oh, lovely, Chuck. Uh, so um, you are the patron saint of Signal, and I believe this is about the sixth time you've been on Signal of Doom, Chuck. So you're almost an official member now, and, you know, we should have you in on a weekly basis. You could just sit in for the regular shows, mate. I, I, I look forward to it every time. I like <laughs> talking to you guys. Now, we, we look forward to it. Now, Chuck, you've entered the second level of the questions now. You've been on so many times, and so it's no longer is it Betty or Veronica. The new question, the yes or no answer is required, is are we in a simulation? Yes or no, Chuck Dixon? Uh, it sure doesn't feel like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, if it's a simulation, I'm like, can we end the game now? I'm kind of done, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a little tired. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Now, uh, the, the last time we had you on, you were teasing a new announcement. Um, should I do a drum roll? Have you got this new announcement that you were talking about, Chuck? Can you can you share it with Signal listeners? No, no, I can't. Oh, I can't dear. Oh, yeah, no. we've had some delays. I'm really sorry. All I can say is it's a, it's a household name character. Oh, and, wow. And, I, and, I, and I've written them before. So. Oh, wowee. So, yeah. I, that, doesn't, that doesn't narrow it down. <laughs> no, it really doesn't. doesn't. <laughs> yeah, we could be here for a while. But anyway, but keep us it's, in. It's not, it's not SpongeBob. It's not SpongeBob. That's all I'll give you. Okay. All right. Well, we won't press you too much because I know that it's still classified information. Um, now, I recently finished, Chuck, the latest Bad Times novel, which I thought was fantastic. Um, are there any plans for a sequel? I know you're a busy man. You always seem to be writing four things at once. Um, another Bad Times possible? I, I want to do another one. I got to fit it into the schedule. The yeah. sixth book kind of wraps things up for now. Yes, uh, it does. Obviously not the end of the story, but I didn't want to leave everybody hanging. But yeah, I'll, I'll get back to it. It's just, uh, you know, I got other commitments. So. Yes. I've got a question for you. When you're doing Bad Times novels, do you come up with the idea, um, I know the last one was a bit different because it was kind of like an alternate reality, but do you think, I really want to do one in ancient China? And is that where you start with the Bad Times thing? You think of what time period and then you sort of build the story around that? Yeah, I think about where I want to go and I, I try to avoid, um, you know, Going back to the sinking of the Titanic or, sure. you know, places that uh, the reader is already really familiar with and possibly bored with. So <laughs> that's why I'll do things like the Taiping Rebellion or the Franco-Prussian War, yeah, things yeah. like that. Uh, hopefully uh, it gives me an excuse to do research and maybe the reader will even learn something. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely learned something. I, I didn't know anything about that Chinese um, Civil War at all. And that was a fascinating one. It's pretty amazing, isn't it, that a war of that magnitude in the West, we really don't even know what happened. 
Yeah, and there and there was even some Western people involved. Like there was a like a English army or something was there. If yeah. You remember? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, they. It's uh, it's pretty amazing. I mean, Chinese Gordon was there. It's where he got the name Chinese Gordon. So that's crazy. Uh, I, and and you know, the bloodiest war in human history up till World War One. It's just amazing. That is nuts. And um, I tell you what, they don't mind shedding a few lives over there in China. When they have a war or civil disturbance, they really do. You know, the death count is high, basically. Um, yeah, they always say life is cheap there, mm. but I guess it is. Yeah, no, I agree. They don't, they don't go halfway. <laughs> I mean, look what's going on in Shanghai. I know. <laughs> We've got people at work who are working in Shanghai, and they're basically imprisoned in their apartments, Chuck. Like, it's yeah. nuts. It's the most frightening thing I think I've ever seen on television is that shot of the high-rise condos and people just out on their balconies screaming. Yeah, it's I'm, nuts. Wow. And, and, <laughs> and like, the government's providing uh, a certain amount of food, but it's it's almost like, like prison food. Um, yeah, it would have to be. Yeah, and there's, and there's no goods in the stores and stuff. Like, it's really, it's really weird, yeah. Um, now, talking about Lee Von Cade um, novels, now... Okay, so these Levon Cade novels, how many are you up to now? Because you have been pumping these out. Well, I, I, I just did the final edit on uh, the 11th, and, <sighs> and the 12th is written. The 12th is in the editing process now, so I've 12 of them. This is great, and, and uh, obviously they're doing well for you. And, like, I mean, that's amazing, 12. And then you've got – I want to uh, point listeners to this. You've got them coming out now on Audible – um, yeah. Okay. So, is it just the first one that's out already? Um, how many have you got out on Audible so far? I, I I think there's four or five out at this point. Wow. Okay. And yeah, because this is something I actually just got my Audible credit um, like last night, so I'm definitely going to uh, pick one up. Oh, thank, thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, definitely, man. Yeah. I, I love Levon Kate. I think Levon Kate. I honestly have always said, if you like Chuck Dixon's Punisher, which I know you know tons of your fans do. You've got to hit Levon Cade because yeah. there's, there's there's such a clear link. Now you know what I thought. I'm sure you've got a really good voice actor, but you know who I think would be fun? Sliced alone doing the read on one. <laughs> I, he couldn't do the draw. <laughs> if, if I ever do something set in Philadelphia, I'll have him do it. But yeah, he couldn't do that southern draw. <laughs> yeah, it would be entertaining. And he'd readily admit he had no interest in doing the southern draw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. He is well, who I'm, he is. He I'm, is. He is. I'm I'm looking forward to possibly this being the next Amazon show. Wow, yeah, yeah, we're, we're yeah. Well, I mean, it, you mentioned Stallone. I mean, he has he he optioned it for his production company, and yeah, he actually wrote a couple of episodes of of the TV series. But you know, we're still it's Hollywood. Everything yeah. moves like a glacier mm -hmm. uh, until it doesn't, and then it moves real yes. quick. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, God, I'm I'm definitely uh, keeping an eye eyes glued to that because I would love a Leave on Cage show. That would be just perfect. And considering. Um, I don't know if you saw Chuck. Oh God, what's the guy's name? Um, Jack is it Jack Reacher? Jack Reacher. He had yeah. a popular show that the guy from Titans is playing. I know my dad is a massive Jack Reacher fan, and he yeah. loves that show. You know? Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's so hugely successful. That's why we thought, well, Levon Cade's a shoe in because mm. it's more of the same kind of stuff, basically. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I mean, I, I but, but different enough. I, Levon's different enough from Jack Reacher that. It doesn't hmm. seem like the same old thing. No, definitely. And you've got um, the relationship with the daughter as well. I, I always think that opens up a lot of good story possibilities. Um, yeah, no, definitely. Um, now, 
Arkhaven, uh, what's going on with these titles? You seem incredibly busy with the material, Chuck. Um, basically, you've got this Sister Suprema that I know is getting a lot of attention. Do you want to give listeners the 10-cent pitch on Sister Suprema? Because I know I've seen a lot of uh, your posts are relating to this in terms of that. Well, My Sister Suprema is basically it's a superhero uh, comedy. Uh, it's about a little boy named Randy who really wants to be a superhero. Mm. And he finds a website that allows him to experiment. He build a build this device and mix these chemicals to give himself superpowers. But something goes wrong and his big sister gets the superpowers instead. <laughs> and she has no interest in being a superhero. So he kind of has to guide her along her career the whole time being incredibly envious that she's the one that got the powers instead of him. So it's almost it's almost a bit of a comedy as well, isn't it? There's plenty of yeah, laughs yeah, in this one. It's definitely you know more of a humor attempt uh, than than a dramatic. Yeah, and yeah. We're, we're just we're just now introducing the villain. So and you know. and how's it going for you? Like because you obviously get the I mean the numbers on these archive and stuff is is really impressive, isn't it? In terms of the people checking it out. Yeah, we're almost to seven million views, and oh. uh, we're getting to that next million. Uh, viewer milestone quicker and quicker now. So as more and more people are turning on to the site, you know, and it's free. I mean, why not check yeah. it out? Yeah, well, 100%. And um, I was going to say, so people can also, obviously it's online. Am I right in saying in the on the website, people can also order physical copies um, when I had a look at the website? Uh, not not yet. Most okay. of these, we aren't, we aren't up to the point of physical copies. It's all about digital. Yeah. They, they are prepared for, digi- for uh, print copies. We will be doing print copies, but, yeah. you know, we're going to go right to trades. So we yes. need to have all the material together. But... You know, we just like the elegance of the website because mm. there's nothing to join. You don't have to fill out a form. Mm. We don't need to know who you are. Mm. You just go there, you click on a comic, and just start reading it. It's great. And, I mean, you've got um, one of my favorites is the Streets of Avalon. You've got something big. I mean, you've got a lot of stuff that's at that website. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it really, would you say that you've sort of migrated a lot of your audience in the last – you've been doing it for a few years now, haven't you? It's been at least two or three years. Well, it, it, actually, Arc Arc has only been around a little over a year. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Gee. Yeah. Very popular though. Like, if you're up to like yeah. over seven million, that's I'm impressed. Yeah, is. yeah. It's a, it's a lot of views, and it's got global reach, which helps. Mm. And uh, yeah, I don't know if I, it's so much that my fans have migrated as if I is that I've found new fans. Well, that's good. Yeah, so, that yeah, wouldn't surprise always- me. That would not surprise me as well because, yeah, it's a different thing. But, uh, yeah, so I, all I know is we've had a lot of listeners uh, chiming in about Sister Suprema saying how much they've enjoyed it. Now, Michael Kellershim, big friend of the show, always comes to you with questions, Chuck, and I thought I'd split his questions into two. We'll do the, the rest of them at the end of the interview, but I'll, I'll start with Michael's questions, and he says, the greatest questions asked for Chuck Dixon since the last time I asked Chuck Dixon questions. <laughs> uh, all right, so... Um, okay, so we'll get you started on these. So, number one, if you were stuck in a Groundhog Day, what would you do all day? Probably what I do all day anyway, right? I was going to say, like, poor Chuck. He probably feels like he's in Groundhog Day already, like, churning out all this material. Um, okay, here's a second one. This is kind of in the darkest timeline, Chuck. If Marvel and DC had never hired you, what projects would you have pursued after Eclipse and First Comics went out of business where do you think your writer career would have gone? Hmm. I, I probably would have just kept going through all the independent comic companies until there weren't any more. Yeah. Um, you know, or 
uh, or, you know, I, I hate to say this, you know, oh. traveled out to Hollywood. I, I, I didn't want to do it, but, sure. um, you know, I might've done that because I, you know, I'd made contacts in the independence even before, uh, going to Marvel and DC. Yeah. So I knew people out there and, and I, you know, I had writers, I mean, Frank Darabont, oh. you know, uh, yeah. told me to come out. I didn't, wasn't friends with him. I was just talking to him on the phone. He wasn't, he wasn't Frank Darabont yet. If yes. you know what I mean, he was just starting out, but he said, why don't you come out here? You know, they need people like you. So I probably would have heeded the call. Yeah. Well, I mean, God, he is. A very I don't think I would have been any happier for it. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, Hollywood's a tone beast, isn't it, Chuck? You know, really. It's it's a miserable place. It's, yeah. absolute, it's the most miserable place on earth. Yeah. You so. constantly, you're as hot as your last hit. And I mean, breaking yeah. in is tough. Now, um, you've got this question and I'm going to butcher this guy's name. In your Milo Yiannopoulos interview... In, yeah, there you go. You got, you got it. He actually spelt it out for me, Chuck, like phonetically. So oh. that's it. Because <laughs> I would have no idea with his name. Uh, interview in 2016. When asked who were the good guys in comics today, you answered IDW's CEO, Ted Adams. In 2022, yes. Ted Adams is gone, and IDW seems like a pale shadow of its former self. Where did it all go wrong, and would you ever work with IDW again? Hmm. Um... Probably not. I mean, oh, Ted yeah. Adams to me was the heart and soul of IDW. When he left, mm. um, everything left with him. Everything I liked about IDW was Ted Adams. Right. So, uh, yeah, I just uh, I didn't have much of a rapport. Mm. With the, in fact, the very last job that Ted greenlit, mm. uh, once he left, they wouldn't even publish it. And really? um, it was a completely finished five-issue miniseries, and they would not publish it. That's so weird. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's coming. It's coming out from Antarctic. It's called Unprepped. I mean, you can order it now. Oh, uh, you know what? I've seen this um, on your social media, and that looks really good. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a, a sort of what do you call it? Like Doomsday Preppers comedy comic, yeah. Yeah, it's like a survivalist comedy, uh, but yeah. it's it's uh, yeah. He, that was the last thing he greenlit before he left of of mine. Right, and then they we completely finished it, and they wouldn't publish it. That's so, so weird. Like what? What? I mean. You're a big name, like, in terms of recognition, just because of the amount of time and all your time on Batman. I would have thought, what's to lose? Like, they know your fans are going to buy, you know, as a, a portion of your, a big portion of your work. Like, it's not hard. Um, well, a lot of what happened at IDW was is that it fell into the hands of guys who, who they didn't just want to be publishers, they wanted to be creators, too. Right. And uh, they saw everybody that wasn't them as a competitor at their own company. Right. So they would they would give their projects, you know, full attention mm. uh, and let others just sort of hang. So they weren't going to publish something by me that was going to compete with their own work. I, I think that's what it gets down to. Very small-minded philosophy when you're running a company, you know, which really should be about getting the revenue in and stuff like that. You know, like, I hate politics. At, uh, yeah. at office politics drives me crazy, Chuck, <laughs> frankly, you know. Well, I mean, and and when you're a publisher, I mean, you you have to. And I've told this to a lot of publishers. Mm. You have to publish things you don't like. That's I mean, it. If, yeah. If, if it looks like it's going to be a hit, even if you don't like it, you got to publish it because it's a business. That's it. You, you're throwing it in comics too. A lot of stuff gets thrown at the wall. Like basically, if you look at the history of comics, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and the thing is, that's been a problem, you know, because at Marvel, DC, I, I remember at CrossGen, I'm telling Mark Alessi, look, we can't just publish books you like. Yeah. Because that's like one person's taste. Yes. For a whole line of comics, it ain't going to work. 
right. Yeah, you need you need a your varied lineup. Um, now, also, IDW uh, really they had the golden goose of some stuff like GI Joe to name one thing, and they really have sort of let that. I don't know, like, they've gone some weird directions with G.I. Joe, is all I can say, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, them and every other uh, major publisher, I mean, they've all yeah. gone woke, and I, I don't know the reasons for it. It yeah. obviously hasn't been a success. No. It's obviously not a moneymaker. Uh, they're not interested in being a business anymore. They're not interested in earning money or gaining new readerships. So they, they, seem to, they seem to hire people who hate the fans of whatever it is they hired them to write. And they chase everybody away. Well, they had that guy, and I've, I don't know his name, but, like, he hated America, and he was writing G.I. Joe. And it's like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, but it's like, I'm not sure if this is the right comic for you. That's <laughs> like that's like when the when DC brought over all the British writers who hated superheroes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's, but at least in that case, it was successful, like, you know, in its time period. Whereas... That guy yeah. was one step away from burning the American flag, and he's writing G.I. Joe, and it's like, this doesn't feel like a good fit, you know? <laughs> no, no, because the G.I. Joe, Joe readers expect a certain kind of story. Exactly. And yeah. uh, there's a lot of room. You can tell a lot of different kinds of stories mm. within that framework, but you've got to stay in that framework of respect for the, respect for the military mm. And respect for the country, respect for the flag. 100%. And, uh, and I mean, that's it, it, doesn't that feel, Chuck, obvious? You know what I mean? Like that's, that's <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, to you and me, yeah. <laughs> Apparently these people, they, well, the problem is they're not in comics for life, you know? Mm. I mean, when you're in comics, you want, every, you want to try to make all your work successful so you can keep your job and yeah. stay in comics. A lot of these people, Marvel Comics and DC Comics and IDW, they're a stop along the way on their way to getting a job at MTV. MTV, Jesus. Like, yeah. No, I, I totally hear you. Um, now, uh, question four. This is the last one we'll do uh, before we move to our own questions. In your Nightwing run, Dick Grayson had a budding romance with Bridget Clancy, his building's Chinese-slash-Irish superintendent. I remember her. Yes. Then one issue, she was electrocuted changing a light bulb and was never seen again while Nightwing started a relationship with Barbara Gordon. Was this change due to editorial or fan response? No, she was never supposed to be his main love interest. Right. She was a uh, She was just there to, you know, I wanted to establish, or, or not establish, we all knew that Dick Grayson was a player. Yeah. And uh, so I wanted to keep that going, you know. So I wanted a woman around that he was obviously attracted to. to yeah. But there was a mystery about her, and it was never meant to come to anything. I mean, once we reveal that, you know, he thought she was a, a an Irish Colleen, and she turns out to be a, a Chinese girl. <laughs> Once that gag was over with, she was just a background character yeah. from that point on. It was fun, though. I tell you what. I oh, oh yeah, I had a lot of fun with. It. I, I got the idea when I was I was doing something. I had the TV on, and they were interviewing uh, people on the street in Londonderry, mm. and um, you know, and you're hearing the brogue. Yeah. And and I and and at one point I looked up and it was two Chinese girls they were interviewing gotcha. this with this wonderful Londonderry accent. I thought, oh god, I'm going to use that someday. That's kind of hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit of a shock. You know, yeah, like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> indeed. You know the uh, the new. I have not seen the actor. The new Doctor Who. Uh, a black guy from you know I'm not sure where he's from, but he's Scottish and I think he's got a massive Scottish accent. So, you know, like it's, it's, it's mixing stuff up, you know, that people don't expect. Yeah. That's the amazing thing, you know, cause I, I watch a lot of stuff from the UK and oh. it's like, wow, it's that accent. It, it gets a hold. 
Yeah, that's oh, very strong. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, and they'll have the North Country accent or the the East London accent, and it's like, yeah, okay, I like you know. it. I I enjoy this. Oh, well, I like accents, it too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, and that's the way it is there because these people are using their natural speaking voice. Exactly, they're born there. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's cool. Now, uh, yeah. moving moving to my own questions. Now, Stephanie Brown is going to be in a new Bat Universe live action show. Have they reached out to you at all, Chuck? Maybe just to find out where to send the check. Uh, well, they know where to send the check. I hope they don't lose that address, but now they don't reach, they don't, they don't, you know, I'm, I'm not contacted at all about any of this stuff, but you know about it. So Stephanie Brown, I know about it. And, yeah. and eventually they get around to sending the check and explain why they sent it, you know, what it was that they're sending the check for. So, sure. um, yeah. you know who I, I believe in doing the news for signal that it's some sort of, I believe it's like after Batman's dead. And so it's all the ancillary characters. <laughs> I, I believe that's right, actually, Chuck. And like, okay, so it's, yeah. but I, you know who I think would be a good fit for the show. I assume it's going to have Tim Drake bring Ariana, you know, Ari back in as well. Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah. I, I, I always had a soft spot for her, but then you could have the triangle. You could have Stephanie Brown, Ari and Tim Drake. And suddenly everybody know, loves a love triangle. They love a love they triangle. And it's another check for you, Chuck, because I would imagine <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. I'm thinking. I'm, well, I'm thinking. And also, it would be a, a check for story content because DC is starting to pay for story content. Well, thank God. You know, Jesus, yeah, they, yeah, they took yeah, their yeah. time. I, I, got yeah. a, I got a nice check off the last Birds of Prey movie. I didn't see it, so I don't know what of mine they used, but the check was nice. Oh, well, I mean, mm. and you know what? I so many times um, talk on, on the signal and stuff. Finally, that stuff's happening because it's so not fair that they rip whole scenes and whole ideas yeah. out. And it's about time that the checks started coming to the creators for that because you guys, you know, you laid a groundwork, a massive groundwork, you know, and it's it's more than just I created Stephanie Brown. You know, it's like, well, I also did right. like multiple stories of like, think of Tim Drake, you did 100 issues of Robin all the storylines that would have been in there, someone could pick through that and go, oh, here's two or three things that we'll use in the show, you know? Right, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's there's the plot lines for, you know, hundreds of episodes right there. Exactly. Now, Rich, you've got a question about Neil Adams? Well, uh, Chuck, it's obviously, it's been a bit of sad news for yeah. uh, comic fans the last couple of weeks, uh, Neil Adams as well as George Perez. Mm. Um, obviously, you and Neil sort of a bit more, you know, in the Batman family, but uh, I was just wondering if you had any interesting or funny stories about uh, uh, Neil or, or possibly even George. Uh, well, N Neil, you know, I met Neil a bunch of times. I mean, he was like one of the first pros I ran into when I went to my very first convention, like in 1971. Cool. Uh, I was, you know, I was a fan, you know, and he was like one of the first pros. And I knew what he looked like, you know, because he had drawn himself into some stories. <laughs> uh, but... Um, you know, Neil, uh, Neil went to bat for an awful lot of creators because he had a big mouth. And I mean that in a good way. Uh, he, he said what was on his mind. And when we ran into some trouble with DC and Warners over Bain, uh, he, he, he went and complained. I mean, he went to the DC offices and said, you got to treat these guys better. And I think a lot of, uh, their change in attitude was due to Neil. So, um, That's you know, right. yeah, I mean, in, in addition to being a massive talent, the guy was, uh, he really stood up for freelancers. And he got so. the pension for um, Siegel and Schuster too back in the day, didn't he? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of other people he helped that you know he never made it public. He never yeah. bragged about it or talked about it. I think he helped an awful lot of people well, without wow. taking any credit for it. So yeah, and uh, but yeah, he was a 
Neil is a character, man. He's a prickly mm. pear. I mean, if, if, if mm. you didn't want his honest opinion, don't ask him. <laughs> well, that's kind of... But you know what? Like, uh, he, he did so much creatively, but to hear that he was so active behind the scenes, I mean, it, it took that kind of a personality, I think, to make people wake up and pay attention, you know? Yeah, well, he was, you know, he was successful in the commercial art field as well so he didn't always need comics yeah right so so he could say well look you, you want to fire me good you know i got other work you know i don't mm-hmm. care i'm gonna say what i'm gonna say oh god bless him for that uh, and did yeah. you have um any relationship with george perez over the years did he ever do any I, of your work I, the only time i worked with him george probably never even knew it that i worked for him i ghosted a comic right uh i did like major rewrites on a comic at cross gen that he worked on really and and um he didn't work at CrossGen, so I didn't see him very often. Yeah. But one story I will tell you is, um, the I think it was the second anniversary of CrossGen. We had a the company held a, a dinner at a country club. Mm. I mean, we had to wear tuxes. It was like a formal affair. Wow. <laughs> and uh, I'm sitting at the table with George. I'm 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 at a table with George, and the owner of the company, Mark Alessi, gets up to give a speech. And uh, he says, "I'm a wealthy man." <laughs> and George turned to me and said, "We'll fix that." <laughs> I love that. That's actually awesome from George, you know. <laughs> and just the thought of you all in tuxes, like all these comic book guys, you don't think of comic book, you know, creators in tuxes at a at a sort of black tie event. No, you don't. No, you don't. It was very much uh, uh we were very much in costume. <laughs> I love it. I love it. it. Was your Bruce Wayne moment, yeah, Chuck? Was what? Your Bruce Wayne moment, you know, like There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Now, Chuck, well, the funny thing is, I had my own tux. Everybody else had the rent, but I had mine. Oh, there you oh. go. Always prepared. Always prepared. <laughs> now, Chuck, Seven Deadly Sinners, can you give us an update on this project? Because I've been craving this since we started doing Signal. What's the story with Seven <laughs> Deadly Sinners? Well, it's been completed for a while. Mm. Uh, Phenom Comics, which is a new comic company, uh, they're going to be publishing it as you know a graphic novel. It's a 110 page graphic novel. Awesome. Uh, and uh, it, you know, uh, to your re- listeners who may not have heard about it before, it's a it's a retro 70s biker flick done as a comic. It's basically the Magnificent Seven retold as a you know a motorcycle gang movie. That sounds awesome nice. to me. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, okay. Like, yeah, so, I mean, look, we'll, I keep an eye on your social media, so we'll definitely promote that to the Signal listeners when it when it comes out. Will that be in comic stores, Chuck, or will that, is that, that yeah. be ordering? I, of you? Yeah. Well, I, I think um, their initial offering is a is a 12-issue series I wrote for them called Hunter Ninja Bear, oh, wow. and I think they're going to crowdfund that, but mostly the crowdfunding is for promotion. Gotcha. To basically get the name out. Because they're, they're a new company. Yes. But they've got a lot of material to publish. Yeah. I, it, it's called, it's a, a period piece set in Japan and set in the United States in the early 1800s. Wow. And, and it's um, it's from a concept by the Phenom guys, Tom, uh, Tom and, and I can't remember the other guy's name. And um, it was a concept by them, and they came to me to write it. But, yeah. it's, uh, but that's all completed as well. And I think they're going to crowdfund that mainly as a, a means of promoting this new company and then they got a lot of other material and, and i think almost all of that will be available retail wow okay well that is good news um and definitely something we'll keep an eye on now um chuck we did on the show this week we did breath if i'm pronouncing that correctly which was a cross-gen yeah. comic you did now can i say chuck what a pleasure now, judging from your Conan work and Brath, you seem to have a real feel for the ancient Roman world and life on the frontiers. 
Um, And we should mention one of my favourite Bad Times novels takes place in ancient Rome. Now, when it comes to Brath, um, is ancient Rome an area of special interest for you? Oh, absolutely. I've always been fascinated by Roman history. Mm. And I've I've read a lot of Roman history. Man, it comes through in this comic because I think the artist, uh, Andrea Vito, was incredible on this title. Like, it yeah. looks like, you know, you know, like Ben-Hur or Spartacus? Yep. That's what it yep. feels and looks like to me, this comic. Yeah, he's very much going for that. I mean, he, he you know, um, you know, he, he's from Italy mm. and, you know, he grew up on all those sword and sandal movies and stuff. So, yeah, we were, that was very much an influence on the book. Now, um, basically... It's such a tragedy at CrossGen that you, obviously the money ran out because that story is really picking up speed. Yeah. <laughs> and you actually have, in the last panel, you actually do a little Easter egg and have someone saying ciao, like behind the boat, I saw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Andrea knew he, he knew that was his last issue. Yeah. So. <laughs> and, like, at the time, obviously, um, you know, the inner workings, I don't know how, how where you were, the financials, but... Like, were you picturing that as, it felt like that's a 50-issue comic at least. It felt like you had ideas to burn on that one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That that end way of the rat, I yes. had lots of plans for. Wow. So, yeah. But, um, uh, you know. Oh, it's great. Now, I've got a question for you, Chuck, like, because this is a really, this this was a really good comic. Now, and I'm, I'm reading it, and I'm thinking, Chuck, I, I sort of gathered you knew a lot about ancient Rome, and I've seen your, like, figures and stuff you've got, like the little statues. <laughs> now... Okay, here's a question, and it's a little wild, Chuck. It basically, with your knowledge of the Roman military, if you were back in Roman times and you were a general stationed in like Britannia, could you have successfully completed a Roman invasion of Ireland or north of Hadrian's Wall? Do you think you could have done it? Uh no. <laughs> <laughs> I think the the wisest thing that they could have done, they did. They built that wall. Yeah. And a lot of people think, well, that was to keep the uh, northern tribes out. It wasn't. Mm. It was me. It was merely to keep them from stealing horses and cattle. Really? Yeah. Because okay. because yeah, that was they couldn't keep them from coming over the wall. There's no way to you know if the, if there was a concentrated invasion. Yeah, yeah. But true. but but they were stealing way too much livestock, and and a wall was the only way to stop them from doing that. Right. I I, I was I, playing. I, Go ahead, Rich. I was going to say, I really do wish you could finish the series, Chuck. Is, yeah, is, so is do no I. Way to get your ha- is there no way to get your hands on the uh, <laughs> on, on, nah, on the IP or anything like? Ugh. Yeah, Disney came I, and they bought everything. I I, I, I joked was, that they even rolled up the rugs and took them away. So I they was bought devastated. Everything. I was so enthralled. I'm just reading and reading, and then it just like ends, and I'm like, I'm I'm just so gutted right now. I feel lost. <laughs> Well, I, I share the loss because I mean I wanted it to go on. You know, I, you know the next script was written. You know, same with Way of the Rat. I mean, yeah. I have so many scripts that were written, but you know, never never to be produced. I, I've got a question for you, Chuck. Um, obviously, because we all know that Disney kind of bought it for pennies in the dollar and like the bankruptcy proceedings. Uh-huh. Um, what about? Have you ever sat down? And I, I I know you're a busy man, but have you thought I could do a Roman centric comic? And it could be an ongoing. And has you know, in the years since, have you tossed it around, considering your interest? Oh yeah, I, I absolutely. I have a like a high concept idea for a, a, a story involving the Roman legion. It's just a matter of uh, do I want to do it as a comic? Do I want to do it as a novel? Yes. Uh, and just finding the time. Yeah. Whichever one you want is fine, Chuck. 
Yeah, yeah. I, well, <laughs> I talked. I I talked with Vox Day at Arctunes about doing it there. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we we were we did that Throne of Bones, which is pretty much set in like a Roman yes. era fantasy world. So uh, he said, let's wait a little while and maybe maybe do your Roman idea, you know, next year. Yeah, so, well, that, that's good news. Uh, that's good. And news. I, I would do it with the same artist. That guy's terrific. Oh, Adam, yeah. Adamir is amazing. He's excellent. He's excellent. That yeah. Throne of Bone stuff yeah. was fantastic. Um, oh, it's so perfectly researched. I mean, he just took all the research to heart. I love the Roman Empire, Chuck. Like, I mean, there's so many different periods you can do. You can do Carthage. You can do yeah. Caesar. You you can even go towards the set, the the final days. Like, there's so many different uh, options available with Rome. You know, and there's like obviously in Avenging Angels, you you you, you touched on like Jesus and like that period. Yeah. You know, like which yeah. is great. Yeah. Like that was that was a lot of fun. That book, Avenging Angels, where. A bad times book, and and you you said it in ancient Rome. That was a great one. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to write. As I mean, you know, you, you, I read a lot about this stuff, but then you know, to write a novel, you got to do more research. So delving into a lot of that stuff and trying to get the language right, you know, to satisfy myself. Yeah, you know, it was a lot of fun. I, I reread a lot of Tacitus and stuff like that, just trying to get the language right. Wow. Now, speaking yeah. away the rat, um, this is a great historical adventure that we're doing in chunks on Signal Chuck. We're breaking it up two issues per week just to kind of portion it out for us. Um, now, I was reminded when I'm reading Way of the Rat of the Oriental adventures in Dungeons & Dragons, and I mean that, Chuck, as the highest compliment. Um, okay. Was this a favourite project of yours at CrossGen, like Way of the Rat? Yeah, I mean, I was when I first got hired at the company, the very first day I arrived to actually start working, they told me that they needed a Chinese medieval action story. <laughs> so, wow. uh, and I was like, well, why that specifically? And it's because <laughs> they were in talks, they were in talks with a Chinese telecom company to do comics for them, and they wanted to do something that, that they would specifically like. And so they teamed me with Jeff Johnson. It was a perfect team. Mm. Jeff is real into martial arts, real into Asian history. Mm. And he, he gives, I mean, you see the book. It's freaking gorgeous. It's beautiful. Uh, he, he's really the one responsible for making that book what it was. I mean, he, he inspired uh, me to really up my game on that one. And, and, and we got, because we were crushed and we were actually sharing, we're in the same building, we're in the same studio, mm. uh, got to do like a collaborative effort that's kind of rare in comics. That's cool, like, because that was the yeah. thing at CrossGen, he, he put you all in like the same office, yeah, and you were sort of... Yeah, we like, were in a, a pretty big facility and, and everything we needed was there. Man, it's it's such a, um, it, it's kind of like a tragedy how it didn't work out, but at the same time, it's such a kind of almost like, I hesitate to use the word noble experiment, because of course it's a business, but it was cool that this guy had the capital and was prepared to invest. Like, he clearly loved comics, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he definitely loved comics, and he, and he um, it just was bad timing, mm. and uh, he was getting a lot of bad advice. I mean, he yeah. told me, uh, I mean, he died, you know, not, not that long ago, yeah, yeah. and in, in the months leading up to his death, I, I saw him once or twice a week. Uh, really? We were going out to lunch together and stuff. And um, he he said he said I should have listened to you more because <laughs> oh, I was always warning. Look, we're doing this is wrong. We shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. And oh uh, yeah, but these other experts told me this is what we should do. <laughs> That's the problem. You're running a business and and you're getting so much advice. And you know you are right, Chuck. I mean you you're the guy who's been there in the trenches for so long. You do you do know the market. You know. Uh, well, also, I mean, he hired people that were. 
again, just passing through. This was yeah. just a job to them. Yeah. But when he took me on, I really wanted it to work. I mean, yeah. I wanted, I worked really hard at that company mm. because I told him the day he hired me, he says, you're not hiring an employee, you're hiring a partner. Yep. I said, I really want to make this work. I really, mm. I see what you're doing and I want to, I, I, you know, I, I really want to help make this successful. Yeah, I get the feeling like in reading, because we're doing Way of the Rat and we're doing, we, we, we did Brath. I get the feeling you were kind of digging deep, you know, for your stories. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, I was, I mean, I was, I almost never went home, you right. know, uh, uh, I was always there and I was, you know, months ahead of schedule and stuff. I mean, I, I loved it. I loved mm. the experience. I still miss my office there. How was your wife with you out of the house? Was she happy or sad, Chuck, that you were? <laughs> uh, yeah, she was, yeah, she, well, you know, she was homeschooling the kids and stuff like that. So yeah, she wasn't, she understood. She, yeah. She understood partly it was a, a good creative thing for me mm. after DC. Yeah. And partly it was, uh, this was my middle life, my midlife crisis. <laughs> working across well, I mean, let's I face buy, it. I didn't buy a Jaguar. I went to work for a comic book company. Oh, God bless you, Chuck. Now, uh, Rich, you've got a question uh, about why they're at? Yeah. So, uh, Chuck, we, we, we obviously, Chuck, uh, Dave said we've been, we're doing this sort of in chunks that we've really been enjoying it. Um, we were discussing that I believe uh, Steven Spielberg was looking to option this or or make this a yeah, movie or something. We had a lot of really serious meetings with um, Chuck Russell, who wanted to write and direct it, and then eventually with uh, Frank Darabont again, uh, who by this time is an Academy Award-winning screenwriter, and he wrote an amazing screenplay for it. I mean, just wonderful screenplay. And um, it was at DreamWorks, mm. And there are three partners at DreamWorks, and they don't do anything unless all three sign off. Two of them signed off, and Spielberg just, they couldn't even get him to read it. Really? So uh, yeah. he he basically, it was a pocket veto, as we call it here. He just, he voted by not doing anything. Yeah. And so it, it didn't get made. But we were so close. They had, they had posters made for uh, film festivals and stuff like that. I mean, we were close to, and we, we changed some of the comic mm. to seed characters for the movie uh things like that because the studio said uh everybody they showed it to said the same thing oh we like it but but there's no white guy in it <laughs> oh, well, there's a reason well, we, for that it's a it's like oh there was there was one white guy wasn't there who owned the well, cannon we had to put him in we had to put <laughs> that's why he appeared we ended up putting him in the comic so there'd be a white guy in it but my thing was you know um Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It made yeah, two hundred million dollars yeah. here in subtitles. Exactly. And their answer was everybody had the same answer. Well, that was a fluke. Right. <laughs> what was the fluke about it? It was you pretty know? big. It was a pretty big yeah. fluke from memory. I remember that movie. Yeah, it was hugely well, successful. Well, I was saying I thought not only would it make a good like TV show or even movie, but it would actually I, I think it would make a very good like sort of video game. I'm just curious if oh, is yeah, that something yeah. that you've ever. Um, done or, or have you thought about anything of like maybe writing or, or getting involved in video games in any way i've done some work on video games um i did a dialogue for a batman video game they had a lot of people doing dialogue i did some mm -hmm. of the dialogue i did i dialogued a uh, an expendables video game and uh right now i'm actually i just had a zoom call a couple of hours ago with some video game people awesome so, okay yeah, but, but 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 about stuff based on my my work uh, oh, that's yeah. great. Well, that's what yeah. I like to hear, Chuck, as well. Now, yeah. um, we recently did, uh, I think last week, we did an issue of Robin, issue 25, where you basically tackled the issue of school shootings in, yeah. a, in a way that I think still resonates. And you play it down the line 
Um, and I think you could show that to school children today and get a conversation uh, going. Was this one that you really had to run by Denny, um, you know, in detail? Well, Denny and I, Denny knew that I hated comics that were trying to be relevant, mm -hmm. comics that were trying to deal with what was in the news. But at, at some point I said, look, this is a, a comic about teenagers mm. and it's going to be read by teenagers and kids younger than teenage. And they're experiencing these problems yeah. in their school. They're experiencing their problems in these lives that, you know, I didn't have when I was a kid. Yeah. I said, but we have to address it. Otherwise it seems like Archie comics. You know, it seems like yeah. total fantasy. So, uh, you know, date rape, teen pregnancy and school shootings, uh, we dealt with them. Mm. And I, but I told Denny, I, I don't want to deal with them like issue comics. Yeah. I want it to be a story. Mm. And he agreed with me. And now, you know, in case your listeners don't understand, Denny is like the biggest, was the biggest bleeding heart New York liberal you could possibly <laughs> imagine. Yeah. And I'm, I'm over here with Attila the Hunt. I mean, I, I, I'm a lifelong NRA member, right? Yeah. So we couldn't have been more different yes. in our worldviews. Yeah. But we always found common ground on the issue stories, even if they were about abortion. Mm. We found common ground because it was about the story. It wasn't about us trying to put across a message yeah. or tell the reader what to think on any issue. Mm. And, and that's so true. At the end of that storyline, I'm not left thinking, Chuck Dixon wants me to think this about school shootings. I'm sort of right. more like, well, it's a complicated issue. And mm. I could imagine, you know, being back in school all those years ago, it would be something that you would talk about in the classroom kind of thing, like an engendered conversation in a way. Well, that, that was the point. Of that. that was the reason to do it. I mean, I don't like telling people what to think. No, uh, I don't like putting my politics into comics it's not entertaining it's not fair it's not honest it's it's not real yeah no i hear you man um now rich you've got a question about richard dragon yeah uh, so uh, i'm uh, i'm a big fan of like uh, and i've always said on the show like uh, b c d list characters and uh, <laughs> a character i've always enjoyed was uh, richard dragon and you and scott mcdaniel were brought on to relaunch the character in 2004 Sounds I believe right. it was. Um, it only lasted twelve issues, though. I mean, what? How do you feel about the the, the character, and and what were your your plans for Richard Dragon had it not been uh, uh, cut short? Yeah, I, I mean, I liked the character. I read him in the seventies, you know, when I was young, and um, um, and you know, working with Scott again on a you know a fight book. He's was, fun. That's 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 heaven. So uh, yeah, I mean, I wanted to like bring him up. Uh, bring him up the ranks, you know, get him off the back bench and yeah. make him more a part of the Batman universe because, you know, he trained Batman and martial arts and stuff like that. Um, but the, the thing is we were hampered by the fact that they launched the book and most readers didn't know who he was. Yeah. And they, mm. and I, and I, even before we launched it, I said, shouldn't you guys do like an arc in one of the Batman books to reintroduce him? That would make sense. Mm. Yeah, and but they didn't. So we just sort of like when we go cold into Richard Dragon, nobody yeah. knows who the hell he is. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the in the New Fifty Two, which unfortunately New Fifty Two had a habit of ruining a lot of characters, and I feel like Richard Dragon was was one of those uh, in the Green Arrow book. Um, I'm curious, Chuck, uh, what what's your feeling of how DC handled their whole New Fifty Two um, relaunch with uh, some of the characters and their decisions? Well, I, I think the, the biggest mistake they made overall was that they tried to homogenize the line. They tried to micromanage all the books to sort of be one flavor, mm. if you know mm. what I mean. So they were 
they were guiding the creators rather than unleashing them. Yep. Uh, if if I were to do new a new fifty two, I would have fifty two different creative teams and just let them run wild and forget about continuity. But we'll worry about that later. Just go whatever direction you want with this character. Write the what you want to see this character do. Mm. And I guarantee you half of them would have been hits. Yeah. Mm. But yeah. the way it was, all the creators felt really constrained. And I know this from talking to them. Mm. They all felt very constrained by, by what they were given to do. Yeah, and, and so true, Chuck. And that, for me, basically kind of doomed them because I think Dan DiDio was saying, yeah, one of the big problems was we didn't have a plan for year two. And I'm like, really? <laughs> like, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that was a problem, Dan, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, a, just a little one. <laughs> now, Chuck, obviously having you on Signal of Doom, um, we've got to talk about Punisher. Um, now, I was going through my old Punishers over the last week, preparation for this. Now, you had uh, the great Mark uh, Texiara, if that's how you pronounce him, Tex. Yeah, yeah. You, ha- you did a great airport issue. I think it's Punisher War Journal 50, where Frank is meant to be picking microchip up but gets sidetracked stopping terrorists. He's got to have been an artist that you enjoyed working with on Punisher, yeah? Yeah, Mark, Mark is just terrific. Uh, Mark is just... Uh, he, the first time I met Mark, uh, I was in... Uh, the Punisher office mm. and um, Don Daly's there working away. There's an associate editor there working away, somebody else. And they're all on the phone or doing something. Yeah. And I'm waiting to go to lunch. I'm just sitting there waiting to go to lunch. And Texiera comes in. I never met him before. And he was already, he's like this ball of energy. Yeah. This guy, you can't stop moving. Right. He comes in, he looks at me and he goes, hi, I'm Mark Texiera. What's your name? I said, Chuck Dixon. And he goes, Chuck Dixon. And he starts mimicking firing a machine gun, going, da, 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 da. <laughs> that's the kind of guy Mark is. He's just, uh, just a, he's just a guy. terrific guy. Just a, and then you can see it in the artwork. I mean, yeah. that artwork is so kinetic. Oh, hell yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it looks like he's screaming while he's drawing it. <laughs> it, it I mean, it's so fun. I mean, this is a guy yeah. who, who got away with doing Frank Castle with a ponytail and it still looked yeah, cool. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was okay with me when I usually hate ponytails. <laughs> yeah, I know. Now, um, can we also talk about the partner issues you did with the great Gary Kasparitz, if that's how you say his name? Quapis. Uh, Quapis. Um, yeah, now He's look. Polish. <laughs> he is, can I just say, you did obviously a ton of Conan with him. Um, yeah. It feels so raw and vital. That Punisher stuff you did, like you did the Ghost Rider Daredevil team up. Was that editorial no. that um, that put Ghost Rider and Frank together, or was that something you guys pitched to Don Daly? I Don just sort of let us go. Yeah, um, and, I, and I actually think on in that period on War Journal, Tim Tui was our editor. Right, uh, he was he was Don Daly's associate editor, and he just let us fly. And and I was writing like a madman, and Gary was drawing like a madman. We reached a point where Tim was handing in issues completed issues 90 days before they were due which is unheard of in comics so um yeah we were just on a high and they just let us go i mean i never remember them ever saying do this or do that you know we just went nuts it feels so sort of free and so true to the spirit of frank castle like those those issues it's just it's just pure punisher if you if you know what i mean like it's great I, i i love the arc where um it's it's the hillbilly uh, yes. the crack gang, uh, 
and and Micro builds Punisher basically an armor suit, but it's yes. sort of a half-assed armor <laughs> suit that doesn't work right. I love that storyline. It's great, and uh, one of and my Ga- and Gary just is all over it. I mean, <laughs> oh, Gary is was lighting it up like, and you know, with with your Conan, that was black and white, but with the color as well, like it just yeah. It, and can you believe? that Marvel haven't yet got that out in either Epic Collection or Omnibus. It's nuts, because Punisher fans would eat this up. No, they, they just tend to sort of skip over my stuff for the most part. They're, they're, it's not yeah. even, I don't even think, think it's available digitally. I'm not sure. It's not, and you are right. The thing is, they're, they're starting to dip their toe in the water of your Punisher. They're right up to it, so now it's going to be right. where the rubber meets the road. Will they actually publish it properly in, a, in an Epic Collection like the full Chuck Dixon kind of experience and we'll have to I, wait and see I, yeah i don't know because it's like they started to get to my moon night stuff and then they jumped to 2006 jesus so yeah yeah you know thanks marvel um <laughs> now i want to mention one that i love the house that hate built where you brought in max the dog um and you and he was so popular according to the letters pages and he does rock max the dog that you then did the origin story of max no no we never got around to any of that i i, I don't think I think Don didn't like the dog story, and really? he didn't like he didn't like tying Frank down oh, uh, wow. to any kind of responsibility because you know it's a pet owner. You yeah, gotta, <laughs> yeah, but but, but gotta, Max gotta, fed himself uh, and know, everything. So, yeah, Max fed yeah, himself. We just sort of like brought the dog in, and I think <laughs> mostly we brought the dog in because Gary loves drawing dogs. Right. So I see. Yeah. I see. That's, that's why that's why Conan had a dog and a couple of issues of Savage Sword. <laughs> now it does sound like you had a great relationship with Don Daly, Chuck. Was it right place, right time for the two of you to be working together in the Punisher office? Yeah, because he was he wasn't like any of the other Marvel editors. Uh he had no wish to be a writer. Mm. Uh he loved comics, but um he was more of a free spirit. He was he was quite the outsider. Yeah. Uh, you know, he wasn't in the same clique as the other editors. Mm. And uh, he was given Punisher because they really didn't think much of the character. Wow. And, uh, but he just went nuts with it. He just, uh, he was a great editor. He, he's unlike any other editor I've ever had. He mm. could be maddening sometimes and mm. demanding, but he was always challenging me. Mm. And then, and then once he challenged me, he gave me total freedom. I mean, he, he tracked me down to a friend's house. This is back when you had to be home to get a phone call. Mm. Uh, so he tracked me down to a friend's house. He called all these people. He found out where I was, called me, and said, I got an artist here, and his wife just had a baby, and he needs work. And I want to give him a Punisher story. I said, so give him one. And he goes, well, I don't have any right now. Can you give me a Punisher story for him? Right. And I said, yeah, yeah, tomorrow I'll, I'll think of something. He goes, no, no, could you give me a story right now? <laughs> Over the phone. Wow. And I said, what? And he says, yeah, yeah. And I said, look, call me back in 15 minutes and I'll have three pages, the opening three pages. That'll be enough to get him started. Yeah. I sat down at my friend's kitchen table and wrote three pages of comics on a legal pad. Yeah. Don calls back. I dictated to him. Jesus. And the guy goes off. And it's a, uh, the artist was Dale Eaglesham. And it's that story where, the uh, Punisher rescues the kidnapped girl in the snow. Oh, I love that story. That's a great yeah, story. Yeah, it turned out good. It turned yeah. out good. He's a great artist too, Darling. Like I know him oh, yeah, from yeah. Batman stuff and everything. He was, he was, he was fantastic. Wow. So yeah, he was. But it was that kind of a relationship where obviously you guys had a wavelength you were on, and he could ask yeah. you. He would sort of say, "Chuck, I need this," and you were like, "Yeah, I've got it, man." You know. 
Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, we, we liked each other. We really respected each other. And he was just, a, he was a character. Mm. Don was such a, the, um, we were, <laughs> we were discussing who could, uh, we could get for different Conan stuff. Cause he was Conan editor for a little while. Mm. And, uh, he suggested an artist and Tim Tui, his associate said, we can't get him. And he goes, Oh, why not? And he goes, well, he's in prison. He murdered his wife with a hammer. Jesus. And, and Don said, and Don was perfectly straight. He wasn't making a joke. This was Don all over. Don said, damn, he would have been the perfect Conan artist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Homicidal. And he wasn't joking. It was, <laughs> was his honest opinion. <laughs> I love it. Like, And he, he was kind of like, uh, he kind of blazed through. He, he did Punisher, and then did he leave the industry? Like, we don't hear of him after that, you know? Well, he, he got he got fired. They, they had that first round of firings at Marvel, and they, they got rid of him. Wow. And then he went... Um, I think he was like a roadie for Metallica or something really? for a while. Wow. He was a drummer. He, he was big into drumming. Right. And, uh, and now he's, he's uh, teaching high school. Oh, so good, good. Good for him. So. Now Don's Don. Yeah. Don always lands on his feet. He's one of those lucky. He's one of those guys that's so lucky. He's always lucky. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, but I think his philosophy of letting you guys run right in that office, I think yeah. I think it worked pretty much perfectly, you know, because it's Punisher too, you know what I mean? The fans want raw. They want action. Right. They, they they don't want censored, kind of PG-ified, like, you know, you know, you know what I mean? They want that rawness right. that you were bringing. It's Punisher, for Christ's sake. It's Frank Castle. Now, well, I've got, he, he also understood the sort of... Uh, sort of tongue-in-cheek, dark humor aspect of Punisher. I mean, we did things like the Punisher back-to-school special, which in retrospect is kind of horrifying. <laughs> but, 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 you know, he, he, he would come up with, you know, the, 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 you know, the Punisher Christmas special, things like that he would yeah. come up with. They're great specials. Like, now, I always say it's almost impossible to get definitive, satisfying endings to main characters in serialized comics of the big two. Um, but... With Countdown, I actually think you gave Frank the perfect exit. Um, no. Did you feel, when you were doing that, did you feel a, a bit of internal or external pressure to stick the landing? Or did you have so much momentum by that point on Punisher, it was almost writing itself? They pretty much just left it to me. They said, look, all three titles are going to be cancelled by this date. Mm. Just come to an ending. You know, bring it to a, a you know, close off all the subplots and just yeah. end this thing. And so I just, I, I took it really dark yeah. and, and really it. nasty because that's the Punisher. I thought this is my, probably my last chance to ever write the character. So, uh, yeah, I just put everything into it. It's it look, it's, it's honestly, I think it, like you've got such a long career. I think that's a really strong highlight and, and to know that, because to me it's bizarre. I mean, I guess Punisher sales must've been in trouble or maybe the company was in trouble because, all I can say is it was such a strong ending, and they, they need to put that out in a trade because people would gobble that up. They put Suicide Run out, they should put Countdown out. Yeah, well, we I, I think the problem was he was in too many titles. He was overexposed. Yeah. I think they should have drawn back to one monthly, Yeah, but they just decided to get rid of the whole line. And they, they, they figured they'd reboot him, which, of course, they did unsuccessfully time after time after time until Garth Ennis came along. Exactly. They, that's the weird thing. It's like... They they close it off, but then they instantly bring it back, and before you know it, you've got Angel Punisher and you've got this Punisher. Yeah. Like it's all bullshit. Like you know, like it, it took until Garth Ennis for them to get back on the right page. Now, um, just leaving Punisher, you you obviously had left a big legacy and stamp on Punisher. Do you have a particular story that you did 
we on Punisher where you felt it all aligned perfectly? Like, was do you, is there one that you think of? I, I really think that one with the the with the exoskeleton suit and the hillbilly crack gang. I really think that nails it. That was a great one. Because it was all low-life criminals. I like the Punisher to go after low-life quality of life criminals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, I, don't, I don't like it when he's up. You know, he's not a detective. No. You know, I, 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 this came up yesterday when I was talking to somebody, and I yeah. said, look, Frank isn't after Mr. Big. Frank will kill all the drug dealers on every corner mm. until Mr. Big comes after him. That's true. That's true. So he's not a detective, and yeah. and and that story just seems so raw, and and it's everything that a Punisher story should be. He sets out on a mission, and everything that could go wrong does go wrong. Oh yeah, it's 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 hellish. What what what's happening yeah. right now? Shifting gears, Catwoman. I want to spend a bit of time on her. For me, Selena is one of the great all-time characters in comics. I think probably Chuck. For the first time, I saw Julie Newmar on screen. I thought that. Yeah. Um, now, you did some really good issues on her in the 90s um, when you were in the Bat Office. Um, it seemed like that was a title that was passed around the office. Was that by design? Did you all pitch individual stories to Denny? What was the story with Catwoman? No, they would just run into trouble on the title mm. uh, for whatever reason, and then they would ask me, can you come in and write a few issues until right. we, we get a regular writer? And they never planned on ever having me be the regular writer. And so there's these, you know, couple of times there, you know, in between other people's runs that oh. I end up doing a few issues here and there because they knew I liked the character. She's a great character. And you had Jim Ballant on art who's definitely, you know, I mean, when you think of 90s Catwoman, he's the guy, you know? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, he's, I mean, and, and he was such a cool guy to work with. I mean, just, just so much fun. Yeah, he's um, great. I, I'll tell you a story about him. He was in a store one time. And he's, you know, like like all of us comic book guys. He's in the toy yeah. aisle. And he's yeah. looking at action figures, and his little boy wanted this action figure, and his dad wouldn't buy it for him. So Jim, who's you know single, has no kids, yeah, <laughs> doesn't understand. He he gives the kid the money to buy the action figure. Really? <laughs> and he tells me the story, and he says, "You know what?" He says, "The father found me, and he was really mad." And I said, "Yeah." I would have been mad. <laughs> yeah, you just give me money to if kids. some strange guy bought my kid an action figure, you know. Uh, and, then, and, then, and then I said, "Were you were you dressed then the way you're dressed now?" Because I would have punched your lights out. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it's he a was telling me the story. He was wearing these buccaneer boots. They went all the way up over his knee. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's a no, sweet story, but it's guy. it's also slightly creepy. It's sweet but creepy at the yeah, same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I mean, there was no intentions there. Jim's just yeah, like you said, he he's a sweetheart. Yeah. So that's hilarious. <laughs> now, what do you think? Speaking of Selena, what do you think of the whole should she marry Batman thing? Is Selena the marrying kind? No, I you know it it you know I th I had in my back pocket if they ever wanted to do a big Batman crossover would be the marriage of of Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle mm. and and to me it would have gone an entirely different way than the way they presented it I I think they just sort of punted it when they presented it uh, to me you know. They're a natural couple, but they can never be together forever. Yeah, uh, obviously. But but I, I I my idea was is that she would willingly give up a life of crime mm. uh, to, to be married to him because they're the only two people in the world who could ever understand each other, and and she does that. But then there's I don't know what it was, but there's some sort of outside pressure on her mm. uh, that's a threat to Batman that she has to basically cause them to break up in order to save his life but she can never tell him that's the reason why 
It's a cool idea. Would you yeah, have done yeah. the actual wedding? Would you have done the actual wedding? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. I, I did a fantasy wedding of the two of them where she fantasizes marrying Batman. Um, in I can't remember. I think it was an issue of Birds of Prey. I tell you what, that already sounds about a billion times better than what they actually did when they they literally, when they did the Batman wedding, I don't know if you're aware of this, Chuck, they actually got a drunk judge off the street um, oh. who was going to administer the wedding. And, and then she just didn't turn up. And I was like, this is really the best we could come up with? <laughs> no, no. I mean, you, you could have turned that marriage into two years of really good continuity. I mean, that, that could have been a Nightfall-level story if it was mm. played yeah, I, I, I totally agree, Chuck, but they, they went the opposite route for some weird reason. Now, uh, oh. Rich, you've got a Wildcat uh, question? Yeah, well, uh, since we were talking about uh, uh, Catwoman, uh, just recently, uh, uh, once again, we did uh, a collection which included you, Chuck. Uh, we did the uh, Batman Wildcat collection, uh, which did also include your Wildcat Catwoman oh. uh, mini that you did. Um, I, I thought it was a wonderful pairing. Um, of those two characters um and uh how do you are you a big wildcat fan uh would you would you yeah. like more stories on him given the chance i i liked wildcat when i was a kid and i would read about him because he was a, a a superhero who was like my dad's age and i thought that was really yeah. cool when i was a kid that he had a little bit of gray hair <laughs> yeah. that he was an older guy and i thought man this is cool because he's not you know whatever, whatever age Superman and Batman were supposed to be. They're obviously still young men. Yeah. And uh, I, I like that aspect. So I think it was Bo Smith who proposed the crossover that we ended up writing together. And, uh, you know, um, and I thought, yeah, hell, I'll do that all day long. So, it's, a, it's a great one. Um, uh, go I ahead, thought it could have been a very good ongoing series as well, actually. Mm. Yeah, we wanted, to do, um, we wanted to do Wildcat Nightwing, but it, we never got Ooh. there. Uh, but yeah, and we had Sergio, who's our you know one of our buddies on artwork, so mm. we were all very very happy. And and the thing is that Bo and I wrote it the way we always write it. We come up with a general plot, and then we wrote each other at the corners. <laughs> and, uh, and Bo 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 still marvels that we were able to do that Catwoman Wildcat uh, under the comics code because it gets pretty rough. It does. Mm. It's good though. Yeah. It's it's it. I agree. In terms of your DC stuff, it's really pushing out there. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 fun stuff. Uh, now, around two thousand, roughly, Chuck, you did a few comics at Marvel, including a Doom three parter and sequel. Um, no. Now, you had Doom put the line fair fur over his face as a mask. I know you're a Fantastic Four fan. Um, this opportunity must have been a lot of fun for you to to dip your toe into Doom. Yeah, I love Doom. I mean, Doom to me is the greatest comic book villain ever created, uh, and. Um, you know, I, I, I wish I could have written a straight-up Doom instead of this, yes. you know, alternate world, whatever it was, Doom. But still, the character is the character. And just coming up with uh, dialogue for him and his motivations and everything else. He's just a fascinating, nuanced character. It, it's I got a really cool Mad Max vibe. You had uh, Leonard um, Manko on Art Duty, and it's yeah, a really yeah. cool art style. Yeah, yeah, it, it looked great. It looked great, and, and it was fun to write. You know, it's just not, you know... Uh, Doom versus Reed and yes. all that jazz, you know. Well, but still, you know, it was a chance to write him. Well, that's exactly, and that's my next question. So, as a big uh, Fantastic Four reader, obviously Stan and Jack is probably the pinnacle. But did you oh. keep reading Fantastic Four post Stan and Jack? And what's your favorite era? Um, I, I enjoyed the John Byrne stuff mm. because he obviously was as into it as I was. Mm. 
Uh, after Jack left on the title, I read it for a little while, but it was obvious that Stan didn't really, he needed Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you know? yeah. it really wasn't working for me. You know, it just, it didn't have that same zing uh, or that same sense of wonder or just, or just the, the just plain crazy ideas that Kirby would come up with. Yeah. But then, uh, you know, when Byrne got on it, there was a little bit more of that, that flavor and the character interactions and all that stuff. Yeah, that's you know that's an that's an era I've never read. I tell you something that I think people sleep on is Tom DeFalco's fantastic forerun. Um, I, yeah. I I like it. We had Tom on the show, Chuck, and honestly, he was such a good sport. You know what I mean? Like yes, he, he, he is. <laughs> yeah, he really he just kept like he kept going and so many stories. And I thought to myself, this is a guy. I honestly feel people sleep on some of his stuff because he was editor in chief at Marvel. He's written all the Spider Man. Did a long run, Fantastic right. Four. I mean, it's it's weird that some people are lionized and other people, you know, it doesn't feel. You know, do you know what I mean? Tom never gets the credit he deserves. He was a good, solid. I love this Thor stuff. Mm. I really did. Mm. And it, it, he never gets the credit he deserves either as a writer or an editor in chief. I mm. mean, he followed Shooter and he he stuck to Shooter's game plan. Yeah. And 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 in addition to sticking to Shooter's game plan. He made a sincere effort to expand the comic book readership. Yeah. I mean, outside of, of the comic shops, he did a, that series of American Civil War comics. He did a series of dinosaur comics. Mm. And he was he told me, he says, we have the money to take some chances now. Yeah. And pl- plus, he was so, as an editor-in-chief, he was just a normal guy. Yeah. You know, he didn't put on airs as a boss mm. or any of that stuff. And I would go pitch right to him because yeah. I, I didn't know what editor to go to. So i just go, Tom, how about this? And he'd either say, I don't like it, or go down to marketing, and if marketing says they can sell it, we'll do it. And I would go down to marketing and pitch it to them. You know, yeah. nine times out of ten, they, they'd say, okay, yeah, that sounds good. We can sell that. Yeah. No, you know, yeah. So that's, that's, that was how it was just so easy to work with them. Mm. Yeah. Talking to him, I got that impression that this, he was a very personable, kind of like yeah. matter of fact, if you know what I mean, in a, in a good way, kind of like, yeah, let's do it. Like, I mean, I, I pitched some crazy stuff to him, and he was just like, well, Dave, I'm not sure if we did, would have done that, but I like the idea. <laughs> 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 now, am, just wrapping up on Fantastic Four, Chuck, am I the only one who finds Sue Storm low-key hot? I've always felt that she's like, you know, just tucked away there, quite nice. Yeah, yeah, I, I got no problem with Sue Storm. Yeah. I think, you know, she's uh, the girl next door. Exactly. You know, there's always some, there's something about that. Exactly. So, hey, thank you, Chuck. Yeah. And I'm glad that someone, I can see what Namor sees in her. You know what I'm saying? How he keeps turning up, <laughs> knocking on the door with his little wings on his feet. Uh, I can see why Namor's like turning up every now and then to sort of say, you're still with Reed Richards? What about the Atlantis? You know? <laughs> I got a whole city. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, um, I think people are sleeping on how good that Marvel Knights run you did with Punisher and Daredevil uh, was. Now, obviously, this was around the time, I assume early 2000s, when Joe Q and Jimmy Pomiati were launching the Marvel Knights imprint. I was yeah. actually out of comics at just at that exact moment. What was the market reaction like at time to that book? Because it's a good book. I, I, I think it was good, um, but I think they didn't. I don't know really what happened there. I, mm. I I didn't take the book where they wanted me to take it. Right. Uh, uh, they wanted a real street level. Mm-hmm. I hate the word. I heard the word gritty, but they wanted a gritty version. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm like, I'm tired of that. Yeah, you know, you've I, done that. I think the readers are tired of it. And then for my own selfish purposes, I thought, hey, this is a, 
it's a Marvel ensemble book, and I'm a Marvel nut. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna just go nuts here and bring in as many characters as I can. Like every single Marvel character I've ever wanted to write is going to appear here. Mm. And uh, you know, but I think they just kind of got tired of me after a while. I mean, I remember um, I handed in the first issue. I you know I didn't even tell them what it was going to be about. Mm. You know, I handed in the first issue. And uh, I got a call from Jimmy Palmiotti, and he mm. goes, "What? What? What's with the troll? You look the troll. What are you crazy?" <laughs> and I said, "What?" I said, "I've always wanted Punisher to fight you look the troll. I don't know why. Don Daly wouldn't even let me do it. <laughs> and and I just, I've always wanted to see that fight. I don't know why. I can't even explain it. Yeah. So he says, "Well, okay." He says, "But downplay the trolls next issue." Yeah. So I handed in the next issue script. And on the cover, I had the title in big letters, Trolls, with an exclamation point. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> and I got, a, I got another call from him. They, they were really taking some chances. Uh, that was a really important period for Marvel. Like They were basically kind of running their own little imprint oh, that yeah. blew up. So it must have been yeah. an interesting time. I don't know how involved you were, but that would have been an interesting time where Joe Q, you know, he... You know, and and Jimmy was sort of doing stuff, and uh, and you you were sort of in there and, and in the mix. Yeah, I mean, they they wanted me in there really bad. Mm. I mean, they I was under exclusive with DC when they approached me, mm. and I said, look, I got a couple more months to go. I can start writing for you in November. Cool. And and Joe says, uh, we'll just start writing for us now. They won't know. Yeah. And I said, I can't. I can't do that. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I don't care if they didn't know. I wouldn't know. Yeah, I like I said, you, man. Don't worry about it. Say November, I'll have the first. I said, you know me. Yeah. November, you'll have the first issue. Yeah, exactly. So, now, I've got yeah. a question for you, Chuck. Um, and you, we can edit this out if it's too hot. Is it just that clown, Tom Brevoort, that's uh, kept you out of Marvel <laughs> after the Marvel Knights run? Is it, you know, is it seriously, is that the guy? Like, tell me. Is that the guy what? Who's who kept you out? You know what I mean. Like who? Oh yeah, yeah, you? yeah. yeah. He, he he's famously said. There's actually video of him saying, uh, "Chuck's not blacklisted, but he can't work here anymore." <laughs> yeah, I just, I honestly, I've got no time for him. I go after him on Signal whenever I can. I just feel like there's something about him that just grates on me. You know what I mean? Like there's this sort of fake humility mixed in with just I don't know what the word is to describe it, but it drives me crazy. You know. Yeah, well, and on top of that, you got that stupid hat. Yeah, thank you. Thank, <laughs> thank you, Chuck. Yes, the hat does him zero favors. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I did to him. I think I reminded him of somebody who took away his lunch money when he was in grade school. Uh, but, I, you know, when he was working with, like, Jerry Ordway and Dan Jurgens, and they were doing all those kick-ass, like, Avengers yeah, stuff, Yeah. Um, I went to him and said, look, you know, these – I like working with these guys, you know, I like these guys, you know, yeah, we work yeah. together at DC too. Um, I'd love to be part of this. And he literally wouldn't even look at me. Really? He would just act like I wasn't there until I left the office. It's bizarre. It was like, wow. he, did, he, did this, he just waited out this long, awkward silence <laughs> until finally I just said, okay, screw this. Yeah. I got, I got better things to do. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I don't want to focus on too much, but I can see an alternate world where Garth Ennis is doing his Max Punisher run and you're doing Punisher War Journal beside him, or you're doing something else at Marvel because you've got so much interest. Like it's there. And just this one guy with his fucking hat, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I knew it. Yeah. I liked you, David. <laughs> Now, uh, Rich, you've got a question for Chuck? Uh, yeah, Chuck. So I believe uh, back in the day or a little while ago, you were supposed to step in and work on um, the, the Man With No Name um, yeah. 
comic um, for what was it? Um, not dynamite. dynamite. Yeah, dynamite. Um, but but literally just before you were going to come on, they cancelled um, the, the book. Um, I, I'm assuming, just like everyone else on the planet, you're a massive fan of the Dollars trilogy. Yeah. Um, do you have a lot of like ideas where you like really so minute? And have you repurposed any of those ideas that you had for that book into other titles? Well, actually, I did five issues of a book called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly for Dynamite. Okay. I did them with the Stev Pauls. So yes, but look for that. They were collected into a trade. Yeah, but but they did also have the 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 man with no name. Uh, oh, they were going to do a, a book called the man with the, yeah. I don't I don't know if they could. There was some legal reason they couldn't get the rights to that title. Um, right. They could only get the rights to uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. That was so, oh, interesting as, as a title. But, and, then, you, and then the only, the only other restriction was he couldn't look like Clint Eastwood. <laughs> that's a bit, that's a big restriction to me. That's a fairly well, big he restriction. Kinda, you know, he just looked like a generic Western tough guy. I was going to so. say that didn't stop them in Red Dead Redemption from the guy looks so much like Clint Eastwood when he puts on like the yeah. poncho and all that. Like it's 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 funny, isn't it? Really, I, I, I wonder if there's not a suit over that because Clint Eastwood is very and, and he has every right to be. Yeah, he's very he very jealously guards his likeness. Yeah, well. So. I mean, he's fantastic. I, I love. Have you seen the latest movie, uh, The Mule? Have you seen that one? Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, that was, it was amazing. Good. It's amazing to me that I mean, he he just has got it, and he still keeps it. And like, he's ninety one or whatever he is. Oh. Uh, like his life, it, it's amazing. Like his level of quality through his career is really high, considering just how much stuff he's been in and how long it's gone. You know? Yeah, I mean. I've been binge watching Rawhide the last oh, yeah. couple of weeks, Love it. and you can see him. You know, I know the story that you know uh, he stayed on that show basically to learn how to make movies. Yeah, you know, uh, and he learned from everybody. And you watch the show, and you go, "Wow, he must have gotten along with this guy because he used him in movies later." You know, mm. and then it's like, "Wow, well, I wonder if he didn't get along with these other guys because he never used them in any of his movies." Oh, I mean, he's fantastic. I can watch um, Rawhide's, Rawhide's great, but those Dirty Harry movies, like I've got the Blu-rays, oh, yeah. I, I can put yeah. them on, and you just you just get lost in it, and they're funny as well. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's a comedy. He's got a very uh, dry sense of humor that I like. Yeah, no, it's it's oh. great stuff and an incredible filmmaker. Now, um, I remember Chuck from a previous conversation with you. Uh, the lethal Larry Hummer uh, was one of your first editors at Marvel. Um, he was recently on a podcast I was listening to. I'm paraphrasing, but he was basically saying he was an artist before he was a writer, and when he writes scripts, he's thinking as an artist. He's th you know he's thinking of if he was an artist drawing it like. I know people have all different ways of doing it. Considering you've done thousands of scripts, do you see it playing out like a movie in your head when you're writing these scripts? Like, how does it translate for you? Well, I, I you know, I can see the pages in my head. Mm -hmm. they, they never turn out the way I see them, but I picture a comic page in my head. So I understand the real estate of each page mm -hmm. and how much I can fit in, what needs to be emphasized. And I, and I learned all this from... Um, my very first comic script I ever saw was a, a script by Bob Kaniger. It was a it was a script for I think the Losers, mm -hmm. uh, a DC War title, and I just looked at it. So okay, I guess this is how it's done, and it's the same way I still do it. And his the way he would direct the artist and say, well, this panel needs to be largest panel on the page, mm. uh, you know, and that's that's the way I write to this day. It, to me, it looked like a very artist friendly way of writing. And I've been told by artists that my scripts are very easy to work on because I'm very clear 
what I'm asking for, but I still leave them lots of room to interpret it. Yeah, and I mean, when I think of your career, you've worked with so many artists and so many different visions and styles, you know, like, so yeah, they're working from a template that works. So are you writing, you know, if you're writing a, a script tomorrow, are, are you writing full script for, for, for the... Yeah, yeah. 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 It's always full script. I, I did a little bit of Marvel style writing when I first started at Marvel, but I hated it. Yeah. Yeah. It feels very loose to me as compared to full script. Like I, you know, it's, there's, it's, it's so much could go wrong. I always feel, you know? Yeah. I mean, they would send me back Xerox pages and I would have to write the dialogue and then draw on the Xerox page, the word balloons, place the word balloons, do everything. I hated it. Because I get it back all these pages of, I don't know what Conan's screaming about here. Yeah. I have no idea what he's saying. <laughs> and, and that's when I said to Gary, I said, let me write one full script. And yeah. I promise you the results will be better. Yeah. And, yeah. and when we were done, he said, yeah, this was a lot easier to work on. And I, li- I like how it turned out. So. Hey, uh, Chuck, I've got, I've got a question for you. So I've heard some people that are trying to push for standardized scripts in uh, in comics because uh, obviously mo- a lot of writers in comics they write in their own style or their own preference what, what what's your take on standardizing scripts uh, in comics i say just write it whatever way feels good for you i'd hate to see standardized scripts because then you end up with like the the way screenplays are yeah. and uh and and one of the problems i have with screenplays i've had to write in the screenplay format is i'm so consume with the format i can't even do my best work because i'm yeah. so did i indent this right did i do did i put the parentheses in the right place <laughs> yeah, yeah. so i'm like you know comics comics are freewheeling you should yeah. never constrict anything on a comic book just mm-hmm. write it i mean mike Barron draws his comics out yes you know, he never write he never writes anything down he draws it out so it's like just do it yeah, yeah, and it, but, but it's the, the kind of people that want to standardize it are the kind of people that probably aren't talented enough to get a job on their own. So they're, they're trying to <laughs> hobble everybody else. That's a fair point. It also feels like, I mean, my God, like, could they corporatize it more? You know what I mean? Like, oh, now we can only do script, comic scripts one way. Forget that, like, there's been like a billion writers doing it and artists doing it their own way for years. What I, yeah, these people are the same people I think who they complain about everything. They're looking for something to complain about, basically. You know. Well, it's like when they try to unionize freelancers. Yeah. And uh, years ago, this is in the '90s. It was a serious effort to get create a freelancers union. Mm. And I said, I said to an editor I had, I said, "What does everyone on this list that signed this petition? What do they all have in common?" Mm. And he goes, "I don't know." I said, "None of them have ever met a deadline." <laughs> <laughs> and he looked at it and he goes, you know what? You're right. If I was to make a list of everybody that never met a deadline, this would be the list. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, now, Chuck, we've got, I've got uh, some Batman questions for you. Now, look, sure. I, I know I, I know that you've probably answered this question a million times, but I just want to start with this comment. Batman Nightfall, take us back to the very dawn of it, like you're in the conference with, with Danny, Alan Grant, Doug, all of you. Who actually first said, we should break batman's back who do you you remember who said it well it was denny 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 basically presented nightfall to us pretty much whole um oh like uh, he came up with the 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 big concept yeah yeah he's like we we, we're going to do a series of stories that break batman down we're going to introduce this brand new villain Mm. who's going to ultimately break batman's back he's going to wear batman down physically and mentally yes to he's at his weakest state and then he's going to break his back, and he's going to put him out of commission for a year or more. Mm. So, so, and and our intention is to make the readers believe that Bruce Wayne will never come back. 
Mm. And and that was where we went. You know, he mm. spent a whole morning describing this to us. And then our job for the next three days at the conference was to break down the issues for like the first six months. Gotcha. Yeah. Of the Nightfall arc. And so, my God, it works. And look, we all yeah. agree that Bruce Wayne is great. But did you enjoy right. writing Asbat and his interactions with the wider Batman family? Like, was it fun as a contrast to Bruce? Well, the, the fun part was every time the new Batman showed up to fight a villain he had fought before, mm. and the villain realizes this isn't the same guy. Yeah. <laughs> so that was always fun, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I didn't like the character. We weren't supposed to like the no, character. No, no, he's a villain, uh, almost really. You know, back yeah, then. yeah, really, he is. And and the artists hated it because I'm drawing Batman, but it's not the real Batman, uh, so it's not the same thing. But but I approached it like, well, I'm going to write it. I'm not going to. I'm I'm still going to put my best work, just as if it's Bruce Wayne. Yeah. I'm still going to because that's kind of the cool part of it is is putting this new Batman into a situation that that would have challenged Bruce Wayne and see how he comes out. Of course, eventually how he comes out is he, he just kills everybody in sight. Mm. So. I mean, I loved the visual. I mean, we're going back to like when was it? The early to mid nineties. Like, and I was only, you know, I was I was reading comics, but the image I saw of Asbat, like in the full armor, I was like, man, things are really shaken up in the Batman universe. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow. Uh, I, I wasn't even one hundred percent aware that wasn't Bruce Wayne because I saw the image and I was like, man, things are getting real violent over there. Like. Good. <laughs> well, well, it, it, that was the challenge we had when we did Nightfall, and I remember addressing this um, directly at the conference. I said, you know, uh, a lot of readers have wanted a lethal Batman, like yeah. a real just badass, tough guy, yeah. who cares, Batman. Uh, and I said, we have to make sure that the readers realize that they didn't want that, that this yes. guy's not likable, this wasn't the way to go. We have to yeah. turn them off to that kind of Batman, and mm -hmm. we did because sales went down. Oh, did they really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, they, oh, yeah. They were. They went. We ended. We ended the nightfall thing six months early because right. um, because sales were so bad. That's why we we sort of brought Bruce Wayne back, but then had Dick Grayson stand in for a while. Well, you did your job too well. Yeah. Well, I've got a question about that. So, yes, so basically the prodigal storyline, um, which I love, you did a great reunion scene where Bruce um, comes back and he hashes it out with Dick Grayson. It must, no. have, it must have felt pretty cool to kind of get the opportunity to put those two literally back on the same page. Like, that's a great scene. Yeah, I mean, all this stuff was fun. I mean, I'm mm. working with these classic iconic characters in a great storyline, mm. you know, that brings everything out about them. I mean, I mean to get – I mean, just – just the great Bruce Wayne Alfred scenes I got to write. I yeah. mean, I was just, uh, and I'm not saying great because I wrote them. I'm just saying the opportunity to write these terrific scenes. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the story called for it. I mean, that was that was the beauty of Nightfall that Denny gave us so many dramatic highlights. Mm. I mean, Alan and, and Doug and I we we just ate it up with a spoon. Oh yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Now, speaking of Denny, did he personally ask you to take on the Nightwing solo solo title, or did you pitch him for it? Because I mean, that's a great title. Well, initially, it was going to be um, Denny and Alan Grant were going to write it, really? and I don't—I never knew the reason why. But three weeks before the first script was due, they both backed out of it. Really? And uh, Scott Peterson, who was the editor, called me and said, "You know, could you take it on?" And I said, "Well." Sure. who's the artist? He said, Scott McDaniel. 
And I had just seen McDaniel on a thing called Assassins, a one-shot called Assassins that I loved. Mm. So I said, yeah, yeah, I'd like to work with that guy. I said, what are the requirements? And he said, you have to you have to create a new city. It's going to be called Bloodhaven. It's all up to you what kind of city it is. And he goes, and I and and he said, I want a Jackie Chan movie every issue. Right. So yeah. Th- those are my only directives. You would have loved that, wouldn't you? Like, I mean, that's yeah. right up your alley. And yeah. can I just say, I mean, I read it a few years ago in full. Um, I, I'd obviously read it. It's a fantastic run. And I and I felt like you, you obviously left DC, but you could have kept going. Like, you had stories still to tell with Nightwing. I could feel it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, if I, you know, uh, if my editors at the time uh, were, weren't so indifferent, I might have stayed at DC. Sure. But I just felt like uh, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm still selling for them, mm. but I'm not getting a lot of encouragement from the head office. Oh, so. yeah, yeah that, and that's ridiculous because I, I like to focus on the on the good times because they're, they're down oh. there, and, and people should really check out, you know, I, I tell the people all the time, they're talking about the DC Bat family, I said, check out Chuck's Nightwing run. It's excellent. It's 70 issues. It's gold. And that Scott McDaniel artwork, I love it, you know? Yeah, yeah um, Scott's, he's just an amazing talent. Yeah. Now, apparently, Denny had a Bible for Batman, which he outlined in the late 80s when he you know, came across to edit the Bat titles. Is this something you shared with you and the other writers? Can you remember anything? Oh, yeah, in yeah. Yeah? Yeah, you had to read it. You were handed it, and you had to read it. When you first started, I mean, when I did the first Robin miniseries, I was handed the, the brief Bat Bible, as it was called. Mm. Uh, it was about six pages. And do you and, remember uh, in it anything that was – was it like all stuff and you're like, yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it? Was there anything oh, you were like, I, you know? I totally got it. I was mm. totally on board with what, what Denny was doing already. Yeah. Uh, you know, he doesn't kill, you know, things like that. Sure. And it, it broke down everything, you know, how the Batcave works, what his relationship is with Alfred, mm. um, what his relationship is with Commissioner Gordon, mm. uh, what his, you know – psychological makeup is uh, how he approaches crime all, all of these things were in there in fact um on, on my youtube channel right. I, I have an offer that uh if anybody uh emails me at brunobookstore.com uh i'll send them the brief bat bible oh cool and the only thing they have to do is they have to contribute some money and i don't care if it's a dollar or five dollars mm. to saint jude's hospital here in the united states uh, saint jude is a children's hospital that treats um, terminal, well, they would be terminally ill children, mm-hmm. children in dire need of medical care, mm-hmm. and uh, the parents never receive a bill. Uh, everything's paid for, and they get the top medical care. But if you if you go to brunobookstore.com, I don't know if you can put that in a link or whatever. I will. Oh, I will. Don't worry. And, uh, you, know, you just just tell me, hey, I gave five bucks to St. Jude's. I'll send you the brief Bat Bible. All right. Well, I'll certainly, I'll, not only will I put it in a link, I'll also contribute for sure because I think that is such a important, important uh, cause. Now, um, Batman Legacy. I, 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 I've, I've read this, Chuck. It's an interesting event. You essentially took a second pass at the Contagion storyline and mixed it with Bane and Ra's al Ghul, some pretty oh. potent threads. Now, I really enjoyed it. How did you feel about this one, and what was the reaction like? Because it's a, it's a fun read. Well, Le- Legacy's the one crossover that I drove. Uh, yeah. It was pretty much my idea coming out of Contagion um, <clears throat> that, you know, uh, Bane make a comeback. Yeah, you know, and, and that we knew we wanted a Batman Bane rematch, but what yeah. form would that take? And it was my idea that you know uh, he's going to meet up with Raish. Yeah, uh, Raish is going to reach out for this guy. 
you, know, you almost did what I've always been trying to do. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yes. And then the whole thing with Talia and yeah. the fact that Dane's blind side is women. Yeah. And it just all worked perfectly. So we got to do the, the blood of the demon mini and then that leads right into legacy. So yeah, I kind of drove that. I remember being at a conference and, and getting all worked up over the wheel of plagues. Yes. That, that device that Raish had. It's great. And trying to describe how it worked and all that stuff. So. It, it's a it's a great uh, it's a really good uh, event. Now let's not forget, Bane actually gets some in this story. He he bangs Talia in Bane, Bane of the yeah. Demon. That was news yeah. to me, Chuck. Uh, I was just like, I was like, oh my. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't realize uh, Bane actually got there, and and then she gives him the cold shoulder after that event. It mustn't have been too satisfying for her. <laughs> well, you know, she's under Daddy's orders. You know, yeah. he's basically like, you know, I I need this beast tamed. Yes, I mean, you know, it, it's a twisted relationship. It's a twisted father. He's always using her. Yeah. I mean, he used her initially to lure, you know, Batman. So it's, uh, yeah. That's, well, he's just hiding around a corner. They he shows them like you know post you know bliss, and Talia's right. already she's kind of like almost having a cigarette, and, and Daddy's just yeah. around the corner, kind of like. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> how long's he been there? <laughs> Super creepy. Yeah, I was I was I was always proud of that scene, and I was proud of the scene where Bane beats Raish at chess. So. Yeah, that was good. That was no, <laughs> you you see Bane in that storyline. What I think they forget, like he's a master strategy just as well as a strong man, you know? Right, right. The, the intelligence comes through. And I sometimes think they've sort of forgotten that a little bit in more of the modern stuff. When he, like, at one point, Chuck, they killed him and he came back as a zombie recently. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know? I saw that. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was like, okay, I mean, why not, I guess? But it's, it's, it's sort of not Bane how I envision him. Now, back in this period... I'm interested sort of from a commercial aspect because I remember I was picking up this title when it came out. Um, what was the sell-through like on these events of all the ancillary titles like Catwoman, Robin? A lot of the titles you were sort of connected with in writing. Like, did you see a bump every single time you did one of these events? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, Denny told me just before he retired uh, that they told him mm. that, that those runs from Nightfall to Legacy were the last projects done at dc that were profitable just as comics really yeah because everything he said everything after that was break even really uh but they actually made money off of off of those uh, crossovers and, and events there so, was there was yeah, a lot of doing the right thing there was a lot of heat on, like what? i remember i was back in you know i'm back at university and it was the early days of the internet, like it was there, but it was kind of more message boards. And I remember yeah. printing off lists of like, here are all the comics, because this is before trades were released regularly, all the different comics of like Legacy and Contagion and going down to the comic book store and getting them all, you know, one by one. Like there was a real buzz around the bat titles at that time. Yeah, sales were good. I mean, I saw the royalty statement, so we yeah. were doing well, and we were doing well internationally yeah. as well, you know, uh, in other languages and stuff. And in that period, uh, Detective Comics was selling well as well just in Italy as it yeah. did in the entire United States. That's crazy. So it was enormously successful for us. Oh, I'm, I'm not surprised. Now, I've got a, a, a funny uh, thing. I don't even know where I found this, but apparently... Alan Grant, who we love on Signal, and we would love to get him on the Signal. So, like, we love Alan Grant. He apparently intended Anarchy to become a Robin uh, sort of before Tim Drake became a thing. Did he ever kick this concept around with you, Chuck? Because it's a wild idea. 
<clears throat> yeah, I mean, he had he he talked about it a, a little bit. I mean, anarchy is very much his character. Yes. Uh, I never went near the character because I mean I love a lot of the characters he created, but Anarchy was so much his. Yes. Uh, I never felt because I remember when I wanted to use the ventriloquist because I love the ventriloquist mm. in Nightfall, mm. and I said, you know, is it okay if I kind of like take this character over for a while? Mm. And he said, oh yeah, yeah, do whatever, do whatever you want because he knew I loved it. He knew I loved the character. Yeah. But Anarchy is. Uh, you know, uh, I think Anarchy speaks for Alan a lot of the time. <laughs> well, I just, I mean, I love Alan and I love the Anarchy yeah. miniseries. And I'm just like, man, as Robin, I'm like, I'm not sure Batman would take off on this, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, that would be the problem. So. Yeah, it would be. A, can you imagine anarchy in the Batcave causing literally anarchy? <laughs> like he's just doing his own crazy shit. Like Bruce, yeah, at some yeah. point, Bruce is going to be like, you know what? Maybe you're not cut out. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Batman likes consistency. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, now, I just wrapping up on the Batman stuff. I know in previous interviews you mentioned there was talk of offering you the Batman kind of group editor role. I assume post any. To me, yeah. what a big opportunity. I can see you doing it very well. Obviously, you built uh, you know, your own Dixon universe and the Bat titles. How seriously, Chuck, did you consider the job and how close did you come to you know, taking the role? I, I, I barely considered it. It was just right. before uh, Denny had announced his retirement and he had like six months to go. He wasn't you know, leaving yeah. in a week. Yeah. And uh, we had a, a, I was sitting in his office, you know, nobody else there, and he said, um, if you were offered the group editorship, would you take it? Because mm. if you wanted, it's yours. Mm. And I said, I could, I got two kids. Mm. I, I, I don't want to move them to the New York area. And, um, I couldn't take the pay cut. Right. And pay, pay he cut. Said, yeah. Okay. He said, I understand. Yeah. I said, it's the pay cut combined with having to move to the most expensive city in the country. I said, I can't do it. I can't do it. Would, so. Yeah. Would you have still been like, just like, let's play what if. Obviously, it wasn't seriously considered. But if you had to take it, would you have, or did take it, would you have then still kept your hand in by writing like Denny did with Israel? Would you still have done it? Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I couldn't resist. Yeah. Um, oh. Uh, still writing. I, I I couldn't do a job like that unless I was creating as well. Uh, it, it it must take a special because when I think of you guys, like you're some of the you know you're the biggest talents at the time. You've got Alan, you've got Doug, you've got yourself, and you've got others as well. I mean, for me, I would have thought like a lot of the times with comic book creators, it'd be like herding cats. But Denny always seemed to get the best out of you all. It must take a special, you know, it's a special talent in itself. Well, he would get to know you. You know, and get to know, you know, you're on the same page as him. Mm. You hand your work in on time. You really care about the quality of your work. Mm. And uh, and then he just let you run. Yeah. I mean, I, I heard from Denny very few times. Really? Uh, where he didn't like something that I did. And and generally, I was able to explain my way out of it. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but it was only like maybe two or three times I ever heard from him on a negative thing. Yeah. Uh, generally, he was very, very complimentary on my work and, yeah. and very, very, very encouraging. Yeah. No, it's it's amazing. So, yeah, I mean, what what a loss and what a career he had. Now, Rich, you've got a qu taking us out of the Batman universe because we know Dave could you know spend forever there. Uh, Rich, you've got a question on Green Arrow. This is interesting. Yes, so uh, it was brought to our attention on the show the other day that uh, apparently Connor Hawke uh, has, um, they've decided that he's asexual. Um, <laughs> my, 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 my view is that that's a complete misunderstanding of his monkish um, roots, but uh, what, what's your take, 
Chuck. Uh, well, well, my take my take in this year on the character is here's a guy. He was raised by Buddhist monks, raised in an entirely male society. This guy knows nothing about women. The only thing he knows about women is his dad was the biggest hound dog on earth. Yeah, hey, that's true, actually. Yeah. And, and he doesn't want to be that. He doesn't want to be like his dad, even though he's obviously attractive to women and everything else. And so um, he's got mixed feelings about it, but he's definitely heterosexual. You know, he's definitely attracted to women. Right. But he's holding himself back because of how he was raised and his father's legacy. Um, you know, he's a shy guy. What mm. can I say? Mm. And, but, but the thing is from, from the beginnings of this character, they kept saying, well, he's gay. I mean, even back then they would say, really? well, he's gay. Right. And I said, what? There's nothing in the book that would give you that impression. Mm. You know, you're, you're leaping to something that's not there. And I had, I got into a lot of arguments with not my bad editors, but other editors really? about it. They, really, they, they wanted, really cared. They, like they were really, they wanted to explore yeah, they wanted to explore that. I'm like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not exploring that. <laughs> I can't, I, no, no offense, Chuck, but I, I just can't see you exploring Green Arrow's kind of gayness. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Oliver Queen's son. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then to make him asexual, it's like, yeah. what, what, you couldn't make up your mind? No, and you that's, know? yeah, thank you, Chuck. I actually think that is the most lame decision that they made him asexual. Like, I, I made a joke. I said, there's going to be a lot of great opportunities for issues with Connor knitting and sipping tea with his pals now. <laughs> like, like well, what do you do with asexual? Like, in a comic, like, okay, so he's not attracted to anything. Oh, great. Okay. Well, so, so there's no there's no romantic tension in this book at all. No, no. <laughs> and I was always putting him in uncomfortable situations with women, you know, yeah. because I thought it was it's yeah. funny. Yeah. And it provides some tension. He was always running into bad girls. And I thought, this is kind of funny. I like this. Yeah. No, it's, look, honestly, and no offense to anyone, but, but like, for me, that character, he's he's so interesting when you did him in that run. And outside of that, I, I'm just like, I don't even think they know what they're doing. And, and this just seems an attempt to, the, the weird thing is they get their five seconds of comic book publicity and then nobody yes. cares. No one cares. Is there even a book to sell? You know what I mean? Like. Well, the pity of it is, is, is they'll say, well, Connor Hawk is gay, but the, the headline to the rest of the world is Green Arrow is gay. Yes. Yeah, no, that's know, exactly right. It, it's like when they made Superman's son gay. Oh, Superman's gay now. <laughs> that's you know, right. Because yeah. that, you know, the great public, they, they're not comic fans. Yeah. They don't get that deep into it. They just know what they hear, you know, uh, on the 9 o'clock news. Well, well, they did that before with uh, Green Lantern. That was the first case where yeah. I, woke, I woke up to news that Green Lantern was uh, gay, and I was like, what? And then it's like, oh, it's Alan Scott. Like, uh, and he hasn't really, no one's considered him Green Lantern for <laughs> like a long, long time. Yeah, people go, who? Yeah, well, that's the Golden Age Green Lantern. What are you talking about? Yeah, what is what is the Golden Age? Like, we only know one Green Lantern. Like, yeah, no, it's it's so funny. Like, they, they think they're having this public relations coup, but, like, really, it's just like a storm in an absolute teacup. You know, like, it's just yeah. it's just nothing. Now, moving away from uh, Connor Hawke's asexualness, which I think is uh, something that's... I, I'm just waiting. Like, I'm waiting for the writer who comes in and then he bangs either, whether it's a guy or a girl, but someone, just to break that up. And then he's like, you know what? And then you have him in bed, and he's like, you know what? I'm not asexual. <laughs> like, and it's it's like, okay, well, it's, it's fun again. Now, um, Conan the Usurper, um, you told, this is towards the end, I think, of Marvel's uh, Conan run, 
Now, you tell the tale of Kona becoming king, and I would say a billion times better than a previous... It's a Roy Thomas adaptation of similar events. I think he was adapting a novel, and we did it on the show. Chuck, it's like Conan in meetings. Like, to get... It it goes for about 20 parts, and he he doesn't fight anybody, whereas you had, I think, three or four issues. It's such a cool, fun comic. Did you just leap at the chance? Because this is after you've done Savage Sword... And you were like, Conan becoming king? Sign me up, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I love Conan, mm. you know, but I love only Howard's Conan. I mean, yeah. I just stick yeah. close to that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, the idea of telling that story. And uh, you got to have, you know, all the action in it. I mean, that's all Howard was about. Mm. Was hey, Those stories are muscular. You can't, you know... Um, yeah, there's palace intrigue and all that other crap, but that's got to take a back seat to yeah. you know people getting their arms cut off. The, the so. classic one where he's climbing. Remember, it starts with he's climbing up a cliff with a with a I think it's Valeria chased by a dinosaur, and I'm like, this yeah, is the, yeah. The jewels of Gwalor. I just reread that. That's a that, great story. That's my first Conan story I ever read. Man, that is just a hell of an ass kicking story. It's a great story. I, I always remember. I, I knew Conan, frankly, from Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. And then I'm in the bookstore one day, and they had the big Howard collection. And I thought, mm. you know what? I'm just going to pick it up. I really, and oh. I knew nothing. You know what I mean? I, I really, I was an innocent. I picked it up right. and I'm reading it in the store. I'm going, this is great. Like, this is yeah. so much better than I expected. Like, and it just opened my eyes up to Conan. And in this Conan Usurper story, at this time, like, it's it's coming towards the end of Marvel holding the character. Um, you know, where do you think they kind of went wrong? Like, it's the 90s. I would have thought that Conan, he's not a complicated character to sell to kind of that teenage male audience, but yet somehow Marvel sort of fumbled the ball like what was the what was the problem there do you think well i i think part of it was they they um we got a new editor mm. and he sort of he fired gary and i without telling us we were fired i think we i think we had to read about it in like one of the marvel magazines that we were no longer on oh, savage Jesus. sword and he brought roy thomas back and i showed mm. nothing to, i'm not taking anything about away from roy thomas mm. But we had found a different audience yeah, than Roy. Yeah, had. yeah, yeah. Uh, we had an audience. We, we would get letters from housewives and senior citizens' homes and mm. things like that. You know, uh, we were reaching outside of the normal comic readers. Mm. And the book, I mean, in comic shops, the book was selling about 30000 a, a month. Mm. Um, and on the newsstand, it was selling like a quarter million. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it had a casual reader audience, and that's who we should have been listening to. But this new editor, he wanted to aim it at the comic store audience, right? And and then it all just the wheels came off. It all yeah. just fell apart. Because you your your kind of you did with Gary. I mean, it's very sort of it's action packed. It's very raw. It, it, you know, and yeah. it's and most importantly, Chuck, fun. You know, yeah. whereas sometimes I felt like, and again, no offense to Roy Thomas, because a lot of the times he, he seemed to love adapting, you know, the, the pastiche novels. It's very wordy. Right. It's super wordy. And I'm like, right. this is not, I want Conan going on about the flesh pots of the South and Crom Count the Dead and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, right. you know, the, he's, Conan's in it for the, he's in it for the glory and the, and, you know, the, the riches of the moment, not sort of long like, dude, like, seriously, he was in meetings to become the king. And I was like, well, I mean, this is just, this is nuts. Like, it's Conan, the, you know, head of the meeting kind of thing, like, strategizing in, like, long, drawn-out, you know, scenes. 
anyway. No, to, me, to me, it's like when he puts puts the crown on for the first time, there's still blood on it. Yes. <laughs> and that's and that's right out of it's in a flashback of Howard, but that is how it happened. Like he literally doesn't he kill the king on the steps or something and he holds the crown yeah, up king, and you know. King King Strabonus. He just he just takes him down. Yeah. Bring it on, Conan. I mean, good, good stuff, Conan. Now, Rich, um, you've got some questions here uh, about Chuck's writing. Yes. Uh, so, Chuck, I'm just, I'm just curious. Um, how, how do you, how do you think your writing has changed from like the '80s uh, to now? Or like, what's some of the most important lessons you've learned over your career? Well, I mean, you, you learn all the time. You know, it's a, it's a medium that I'm conversant in. You know, I understand the language of comics. But, you know, you learn stuff, you look at other people's things, and, and you just, you know, I mean, I'm still doing what I did. I don't think it's changed that much, but I've, um, I've come to an understanding of what it is I do. Mm. You know, uh, when you first start writing, you're just telling a story, and it's raw, and you're not thinking about the mechanics of it. You're not thinking about why am I doing this? You know, mm. why, do I, why do I need this scene after that scene? And uh, now I think I got a better handle on it. Of course, I'm, I'm always learning. You can never know everything. Mm. But now I, I, I have a greater understanding of why, what works and what doesn't. So I, I'm not guessing. There, there's, a, there, there's a story I like uh, in when uh, Quentin Tarantino made the movie Death Proof. Mm. Okay. He wanted to have a scene with um, the two Texas Ranger characters that were in Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. And but he didn't know how to fit it into his story. So he thought, well, I'm going to do one of those lame-ass scenes where two characters describe what we just saw, just so (laughs) I can get these two guys into the movie, right? And then he said, when he got done with making the movie, he said, oh, my God, that's why they do those scenes. That scene added resonance to what happened before. Yeah, we saw it, but now these two guys are putting it into perspective into context mm. and he says he says i never thought about that before and i thought first of all how candid is it of a guy to admit i didn't know that and now mm. i do you know and that's really the process writers have to go through all the time it's like you know what wh- why do i have to do this scene and how do i make it work and how do i make it my own mm. nice nice and now i've got a i've got a little uh hypothetical thought game for you let's say uh, an alien being came down and he said uh, chuck i'm going to take everything away i'm wiping i'm wiping the slate clean but i'll allow you to keep one ip one property one character that you can write from the rest of your life now it can be from any you know any property in your career any uh, any industry what you saving wow um I, the easiest thing character ever for me to write has always been the Punisher. Yeah, so. good answer, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've made that. You've certainly made Dave's day there. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I approve of that. Also, Chuck, what about one of your own? You know, your, your, your uh, own independence. Yeah, that's a tougher one because mm. that's like which one of my children. Yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. I don't know. I don't know if I have it because you know that changes from time to time. You know, and I'm and I'm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got stuff I'm creating now that you know I'm in love with. So exactly. I'm generally yeah. in love with whatever I'm writing at the moment. So yeah, I would. I don't know if I could choose one. You've kind well, of got I'm, to be, don't you, Chuck? You've kind of got to love what you're creating at yeah. that moment. Is your favorite kind of thing, favorite project? Yeah, I've never been the kind of writer. I, I talked to a writer a couple of years ago, and he was all bummed out. And I'm like, "What are you bummed out of?" He goes, oh, "I'm writing his western novel, and I can't wait till it's over and everything else." <laughs> and I hung up the phone. I thought, "My God, I hope I never get like that." 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, mean I, I, you know, I don't run to my office, but I would, you know, yeah. every every Monday morning to get started again. Yeah. Because I love doing this. Do you give yourself? Um, I've always wondered this with you. Do you do you, do you work like a nine to five day and then give yourself the weekend off? Like how 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 are you with your writing? Because you're so consistent. I I. I I try to do a nine to five, but well, not necessarily nine to five, but like a 10 to six, you know, uh, and, you know, but a lot of it is a lot of the work is done when I'm away from the keyboard, you know, just mm. thinking of stuff. Cause I'm always trying to work stuff out, yeah. you know, and I, and I, and that's another thing I've learned over time is, you know, if you've written professionally long enough, mm. it's all going to work out. Don't ever think, oh man, there's no way out of this story, or I'm never going to think of a better idea. Yeah, just give it time and something. I mean, I just had flashed on something a few days ago, and I'm like, oh, holy crap, that's going to be cool. Yeah. And it was a story I was stuck on. Yeah. Now I'm not stuck on it. Now I'm like, whoa, I can't wait to get back to that. You know. So uh, yeah, and then I, I take weekends off, mm. and then during the summer I've started taking Fridays off, just working a four day week. Well, what well, good? I mean, if anyone's deserved it, Chuck, it's you to have that Friday kick back, relax. Uh, yeah. you've, you've probably got me pestering on Facebook about Punisher questions. She's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I've got a yeah, but like it's interesting now, uh, Rich. You've got another question here about artists. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so before we we hand you back to Michael Kalisham, mm. um, I've just, uh, my last question is so. I know that uh, you were a big, uh, or still are a big Steve Ditko fan. I believe he was like pretty much one of your favorite artists when you were when you were first reading comics and all that. Um, a lot of uh, writers have sort of maybe a favorite artist that they like to work with. You know, like um, uh, 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 Snyder likes uh, Capullo, uh, Johns yeah. likes working with Gary Frank. Um, and stuff. Did, is is there an artist that you consider like is fantastic that sort of the two of you just click and like any time an opportunity to work with them comes up, you're just going to say yes before you even hear what it is. Well, obviously Graham Nolan. Mm -hmm. You know, we work together so often. Um, you know, we're still working on stuff now. Uh, you know, I've been work. Geez, it's like 35 years we've been working together. Wow. So you know, I always, you know, we've got a great. Uh, professional relationship and we're friends mm. so um you know gary quapis is another now, gary sort of semi-retired he? he's yeah. like stop bothering me with ideas <laughs> <laughs> gary over my career has been my most frequent uh collaborator by far i've worked on more things with gary than any other artist but uh, I, you know, I, I always know he's going to bring it yeah mm. uh, you know and you know and again we're friends you know we we, we understand each other and there's no um there's no BS between us. It's like, you know, if I think his idea sucks, I'll tell him. If he thinks my idea sucks, he'll tell me. Same with Graham. Graham's yeah. very blunt about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Graham, but, you know, Graham I, seems I, like I, a legend on his Facebook. Graham's really got a personality that shines through on his Facebook. Oh, yeah. 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 He's just, uh, he's leading that Facebook life. But, he's, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I've worked with some great artists. I mean, it's hard to pick a yeah. couple, but yeah, those no. guys stay. No, you, 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 it feels like you've just worked with so many, and you are right. Those those guys, are um, they come to mind straight away. Now, uh, we've got a couple of wrap-up questions from Michael Kellershem where, where, you know, thank you so much for your time so far, Chuck. You've been so great. Now, oh, no, no. I love it. I love visiting with you guys. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, uh, he, the question here is, question five, if you could retcon your career, 
he loves these alternate like questions and be and become a like it's like if you could wreck on your whole career it's like okay thanks uh, Michael and become a full time artist instead of a writer which author would you have loved to work with and on which titles Jesus oh wow that's um, a tough question we should, we should probably give this to Chuck in advance so you can <laughs> sorry Chucky I didn't realize this question was so hard that's, that's I mean that's that's probably my only regret in my career I didn't stay in art school and become mm. a better cartoonist because uh, I would have been a, a double threat writer yeah. and artist sure but um, guys I probably would have liked to work with Mike Barron would be a guy I would oh, like to yeah. work with wow imagine uh, Mike Barron writing and you drawing that's a that's a whole different yeah. alternate reality isn't it yeah, seriously. I mean, yeah, because Mike's uh, Mike's crazy in the right way, yeah. uh, and uh, we, you know, we 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 alike and appreciate each other's work. So, sure. yeah, that's a good answer. And yeah, Mike is a legend. We've had him on the show numerous times. I love Mike. Yeah. Now, uh, question six. <laughs> he loves this. Raggedy Ann is now public domain. Would <laughs> yeah, like seriously, I you he he loves this comic you did. When will you do a follow up to your smash hit classic Raggedy Ann and Andy Go Flying? <laughs> uh, are you willing to give fans what they've been waiting for, Chuck? I don't know if anybody's been waiting for that. I did it under a pseudonym. Uh, <laughs> I don't think too many people know that I wrote Raggedy Ann and Andy, but well, yeah, one person I, does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I go back to Raggedy. I enjoyed it. I liked yeah. it. I liked writing that. Well, you, you know what? He asked me about Not only does he ask the question, he tells me I have to ask you. I'm like, okay, Michael, calm down. I'll, I'll <laughs> ask him. Like, Jesus. Um, and final question, um, are you accepting ideas for Arcade and Comics? I have a great idea for a comic about a podcaster who sacrifices the souls of his co-host to the Dark Elder Gods in exchange for Bronze Age <laughs> Batman. That's me he's referring to. Um, <laughs> so he's taking a dig at me in the final question. That's Thank you, Michael. <laughs> yeah, we, are, we, are, we, are, we are looking for ideas. We're, it's a wide-open uh, source. So if, yeah, if he has serious uh, plans to do comics, yeah, we'll look at it. All right. Um, now, really, I, I want to say, Chuck, thank you so much for coming on. Now, uh, I will put the link up to the hospital um, that you mentioned. Uh, where else can people find you and, and all that kind of stuff? There's always ChuckDixon.net, and I, I have a Chuck Dixon channel on YouTube. Okay. I am up on uh, now that, that uh, Twitter is a force for good again. I'm, I'm, up, I'm back up on that. So Okay. Uh, now that know, Elon Musk has bought it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I've already seen a difference. So, um, yeah, it's well. You know, uh, just hang just on Google my name. Go to Amazon. Put my name in. You'll yeah. see. <laughs> I think some news. I think some news dropped yesterday that uh, he might be pulling out of the buy. Oh, really? Yeah, they're trying to complicate the deal. To no. So apparently, he found out some fraud with the numbers with uh, uh, yeah. Twitter. Apparently. Yeah, but he had to know that going in. We all knew that there was some fraud. Yeah, that's not a but Those Russian bots, you know, they're, they're there. Like, <laughs> but but I will say this, Chuck, you are very available. You've also got um, a, a thriving community at Dixonverse as well. That's a that's a fun group. Um, yeah. Yeah, and like, so it, it's not hard to find Chuck on the internet. If you type in Amazon, you'll come up with a ton of product. Um, yep. that's all there so look Chuck uh, you know we consider you the patron saint of Signal you're welcome anytime thank you so much for your time have a good one okay you do the same thank you so much fantastic Chuck fantastic Chuck